0: i uh-huh. uh-huh.
1: Franchiseography, the podcast that digs deep into the entire filmographies of Hollywood's biggest film franchises. I'm Nick Jimenez. I'm Scott Carelli. Today we continue our mini series on the Star Trek film franchise with the fourth film adapted from Gene Roddenberry's TV series. It's 1986's The Voyage Home, mm-hmm. and we have a guest joining us to talk about the 20th century humpback whales. And uh, Legendary Novelists. It's uh, back on the show Jeremiah Sheridan. <laughs> Hi, how are you? Thank you for having me back. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to have you back so soon after our uh, Army of Darkness episode. Yeah. It was so much fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Jeremiah, what is your relationship with like the Star Trek movies and Voyage Home in general?
2: Um, well, 1986. This must have been the first Star Trek movie I saw in theaters. Mm-hmm. It has to be. Because I have no memory of seeing five in theaters. Um, but also, and this may come as a shock to you, Scott, <laughs> young Jeremiah desperately wanted to be a zoological veterinarian
3: <laughs> because
2: of Star Trek IV. Wow. And I was in that mindset all the way to like sophomore year in high school.
3: I would have assumed that you would have wanted to be McCoy, um, just like walking into a hospital and telling <laughs> people what to do. Uh,
2: <laughs> I, McCoy is always a character I've always related strongly to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very much, I have his energy. Yes. It's one of the, like, the best thing about the J.J. Abrams Star Trek was his, his bone, space is death wrapped in silence. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but no, but the humpback whale and that sort of environmentalism yeah. spoke very deeply to me at that age, and I was very much into that, mm-hmm. and the humpback whales and the rainforest for much of my life. And Star Trek as well, because I was very much into Star Trek Next Generation. Mm-hmm. I had the calendar. Uh,
3: uh, we're still... We, the, the Next Generation premieres on television between this movie and the next movie. Really? Yes. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Really? Yes.
2: I hadn't put that timeline together. Yes.
3: It that pre- explains so much. Yeah, it premieres in 87.
2: Okay, yeah. yeah. I, I watched that on television, even as my brother would sit next to me and mock me. But still... <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's, I, I think of Next Gen as like wholly in the 90s. So right. the, the fact that it was like 87, that's like still quite a bit of 80s life. Yeah. yeah, it,
3: it ended in 93.
1: Wow. Really? Yes. So it's just, it was, it
3: was literally a, a show created for syndication. It was right. only ever in syndication. So it just, it just ran and ran and ran yeah, and ran think all think through I was the 90s.
1: watching it by
2: 93. I think well, like, like, I, I might have, yeah, I was, but it just feels,
1: it was too wild. <laughs> yeah,
2: like that one. It's that thing. Well, you know it, but then you actually put it in contact with other things at the time. Like, was like watching that at the same
3: time? Because you got to think about this. Generations comes out in nineteen ninety five. The show had been off the air two years by that point. No, ninety four. Only a year later. Ninety four comes out in ninety four. Oh, First wow. contact is ninety six.
1: That's so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> So,
3: Everyone just needs to
2: hold on. We're having a bit of a good <laughs> time. <Yeah. yeah.
1: laughs> so First Contact comes out in like 97. Six. Six. Yeah. Okay. So it's like a show that had been off the air for like three years at that point. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, that,
2: yeah. Oh
3: my God. Yeah.
1: So yeah, no, the Star
2: Trek, yeah. Star Trek Voyage Home is what got me into Next Generation because I would have wanted to be like,
1: oh, that's more Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Starts off with Jellyfish. Sure. Why not? <laughs> yeah. I feel like if there was, like, a BoJack Horseman movie coming out, like, next year. Yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Um, But,
2: yeah, no, that's – it basically helped me put me on the road to not just being aware of the earth and the environment, but also science in general. Mm Because I grew up in a very religious household. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it was sort of, like, my shield against whatever that crockery was.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised that you were allowed to watch it. My (laughs) – I, I was not the allowed to watch that stuff. The majority of my stuff.
2: agnosticism is at once my mother's fault. Oh, okay. That's the thing. It's like, because she bought me science books.
3: Oh, I see.
2: But she, so she doesn't get to be like, well, why don't you go to church anymore? <laughs> <laughs> Those books you got me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but you weren't allowed mm. to watch Star Trek as a kid?
3: Uh, not with my mom, no.
1: Wow. Any particular, any reason? Just religion. Oh, okay. Just, yeah. Just, okay. yeah Which just, is
2: odd, because Star Trek was never anti-religion.
1: I was more in a you'd have to watch it to know that just do. yeah right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, because most of the stuff that I was denied as a kid was like, uh, like content. Morality, Or, you know, kind of like, you know, I wasn't allowed to watch, like, Ren and Stimpy. Mm-hmm. Right. Or, like, South Park or Two Stupid Dogs.
2: I got banned from Simpsons because of the crap episode. Yeah. I got,
1: I wasn't I allowed
3: to watch the Simpsons. the Simpsons. I wasn't allowed to watch Ren and Stimpy because my mom walked into a room when they were di- doing a wrestling match. And Ren bit a bunion and, and the goo went everywhere. And she was like,
1: <laughs> why are you watching? <laughs> what is this, this is chaos?
3: <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But I I have a theory that the reason that my mom didn't want me watching Star Trek was was because she said it was like they look like demons, and well, you got to be careful. Just and, the one. You know, whatever. Uh, but but then uh, I think the actual reason was that it reminded her of my dad, and she <laughs> despised my dad and didn't want me to be anything like him. So, right,
2: right. Yeah. Ben, I don't know if that's fair, but like I can understand yeah. the psychological.
1: <laughs> yeah. Sorry for picking at that. <laughs> 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 um,
2: welcome to Star Trek. You're going to be picking at something that's psychologically adventurous. Right. <laughs> uh,
1: you know, it, it's, yeah, I, I, I've, in my research of this movie, I've heard like stories like yours, Jeremiah, of this in particular being like a lot of kids' like gateway into like marine biology mm-hmm. right. or conservation, you know, as like a, to- a topic. Because it's presented very romantically in this movie. Right. Yeah.
2: Well, and also not just romantically, but as something that is necessary. Yes, vital. Yeah. 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 Um, But also, like, the the late 80s and early 90s, you get a lot of, like, movies about the environment. Captain Planet. Right. Medicine Man comes out in, what, 92, probably?
0: Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Well, I I mean, because they were—we were funding those programs, and then those programs— we were then funding things like Captain Planet. Right. And people were like, yeah,
1: I'll make a show about a, a, a nature <laughs> superhero. Like, yeah, whatever. Right. And you had all those celebrities on Captain Planet, like Whoopi Goldberg, right. and right. Bar Burton, that were like, oh, heck yeah, a, a show. <laughs> Both Star Trek alums. Whoa, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're like, yeah, I'll do this goofy cartoon because it's telling kids like, not to pollute the environment. Yeah. Right. I'm quickly looking up when Greenpeace was founded. That's what I'm doing on my phone right now. Uh, probably 80s, I would say. Yeah, late, late 70s, <clears throat> early 80s. 1971. Okay.
3: Yeah, I feel like that was the start of everything.
1: Well, because Carl sure. Sagan was
2: doing his rounds right about that time, and he yeah. was a big. Uh, it wasn't climate change at that time, but very much conservation.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was. It was. It was starting to become part of like the consciousness. You know, yeah. like we uh, we.
2: Pollution: The effects of a U.S. dynasty.
1: Right. Yeah. Or even like you know, we, we just a re- Avatar just recently came out in theaters th- uh, last year, and we had. Uh, but Cameron himself is like a, a child of that era too, right? Of like going to college protests and like being kind of a hippie. And it's like oh, he's a massive hippie. Massive hippie. <laughs> <laughs> he's. All- <laughs> I bet this is like his favorite one. Yeah, I can imagine. I've so. never heard of him being a Star Trek guy. That. He seems
2: like he might be, but at the same time, I can see how it wouldn't interest him.
1: Yeah. He seems much
2: more like Star Wars visually and narratively seems much more his speed in Mm. terms of like a broader world building.
1: And mm-hmm. I would argue he's very much live in La Vita Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> you know, exploration, yeah. discovery.
2: Yeah, because for like all the crap we gave him about Avatar, like he was busy basically redefining DC exploration. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's true. <laughs> he's like, oh I haven't thought about commercial filmmaking in like five years. Right. <laughs> I'm, like looking yeah. for Atlantis.
3: That's true. I for some reason, like uh, I I feel like this wouldn't be his favorite one. I think he would like six the most weird. Something
1: yeah. about I can see that. Yeah, yeah,
3: something about 6 feels more like a James Cameron vibe to me. So does or one. have
1: my favorite so I go ahead. I no I was going to say 6 or 1
3: or 1. Yeah. <laughs> sure.
2: 6 has my favorite line. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> only
1: Nixon would go to China old Vulcan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um that remind there is a there's a moment late in the movie where um McCoy says the only constant, a bureaucracy is the only constant in this galaxy. We're going to get a freighter. <laughs> <laughs> and Harv yeah. Bennett t- told an anecdote where at the premiere of, he knew he had a hit when at the premiere of four at, in Russia, people applauded that line. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And he was oh, this really does have like universal appeal to like different audiences. Yeah, yeah, because
2: one of the things Star Trek has always done well, as well as f- philosophical, is almost sort of like acknowledge how the bureaucracy will always survive in ways you never expect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because by the time you get to Deep Space Nine, there's a bureaucracy surrounding time travel.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Right. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. I've never seen Deep Space Nine, but Star Trek has a habit of really not forgetting stuff that gets introduced.
2: Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. We even
1: Mm -hmm. see that in this movie. Yeah. Well,
2: and also the Star Trek franchise movies does something a lot of what the MCU claims to invent it. Right. Which is basically... The movies are connected in a way. They mm-hmm. also do a very good job of catching you up before the movie. Like mm-hmm. you need know, to get this one does a very good job in the first like five to seven minutes. Oh
1: yeah. Right, yeah. Or even you know, you think about the nineties with Deep Space Nine and Voyager, you had characters popping up all the time yeah. and there was like wars going on yeah. and like uh you know, geopolitical conflicts. Yeah. Well, that's also like Ronald Moore,
2: like one of the head writers yeah. of Deep Space Nine, he goes on to do Battlestar Galactica and right. basically reinvent and doesn't reinvent television, but also pushes it to a a new level of narrative broad-mindedness, I would say.
3: Yeah, well, and, and outside of, um, outside of uh, your HBO shows and right. things like that. Like, he basically brought prestige television to cable. Like, to, right. to, to, to basic cable. For sure, yeah. yeah.
1: That was something that I think we, we talked about a lot in Dueling Genre versus Battlestar Galactica Season mm-hmm. 1.
3: Yeah, um,
1: yeah. And now, like, and now, to say nothing of what Star Trek is now, is stuff like Lower Decks and Discovery and Strange right. New World. Mm-hmm. And it's really built on, like, 50 years of, of what you were talking about, of, like, we've been doing this. Right. You
2: know? uh, like, it's really easy to do a Star Trek, but it's also really hard. Like, it's that thing where, like, surely it must be easy to do a Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Like, someone once said, it's really easy to do a Predator movie, but then I realized
1: there's only three good
2: Predator, <laughs> right. So it must not be really yeah. hard.
1: Yeah. Well, it's weird. Like, that actually kind of resonantly, like, it, it's easy to make a Star Trek movie where, so... Growing up in the 90s, there was, like, kind of the go-to joke of, like, why were there so many freaking Star Trek movies? <laughs> yeah. How do they keep making these? You know? Like, right. again, with the Klingons. You know? Yeah. And in my research, it's kind of becoming, like, pretty simple math as to why there were so many of these. They mm-hmm. made money. They made money. They were built in, like, budget cushions. Yeah. You know? Like, this is a world. It's a working world. So, like, we don't have to throw stuff out. Right. Like... This movie is full of like reused interiors and exteriors. Right. Uh, the Saratoga, that the first ship that we see that in- encounters the like the whale cylinder. Yeah, yeah. The probe. The probe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, concept designed by Ralph McQuarrie, by the way. Oh, oh. that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, yeah, yeah. We need the yeah. yeah. But the exterior of the Saratoga is the Reliant. <laughs> okay. Oh. And uh. the interior is the Chisholm from Star Trek 3, the ship that they accidentally blow up. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, and also,
2: like, it's the one time, it's one of the few movies where the Enterprise has already been destroyed so they can't destroy it again.
1: (laughs) Right. Uh, It's already already been done.
2: Right. But also, like, um, that makes sense because you do reuse a lot of sets. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But also, like, this one, from what I've... Read a lot of reviews for this one. It's like, man, it's just nice to see this cast together, right? Yeah, because I, I brought up Marvel before, and like we talk about how like they've been together for like ten years. Mm-hmm. These guys have been together for like over twenty five years at this
1: point. Mm-hmm. And there, it's it's a much more like it's a smaller crew than the MCU, which right. is like a fleet or you know a federation right. unto itself. But uh, you know, days after Search for Spock was released. Uh, Leonard Nimoy who directed that movie and kind of had that same mentality of like Search for Spock was about the crew. Mm-hmm. right?
2: Probably the first one of the movies in a way and where it feels like the entire crew comes together. That's right.
3: exactly what I talked about last. That's why I defend that movie. People say that it's a bad movie and I'm like, no, because oh, no. it has this. It's, a,
1: it's an absolute solid movie. Yeah, it's
3: a great movie. I and love it's, it.
1: It's something that I don't, even, I don't even think of the trio. You know, Spock, McCoy, Bones. Right. Of Wait, Kirk, Spock, Bones. Yes. yes. <laughs> like, I, I I, think of the crew as a default, but right. Search for Spock was really the movie to highlight the crew and not just the three of them, which would have been kind of like, you know, if you look at the animated series, it's like those three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Leaping out. The animated series is great. I own that. <laughs> I need to watch it. They bring it up a lot on Lower Decks. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, so good. Like, it is a
2: lot of times, like, the main three, but they also have a lot of side characters mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the animated series. And, they, and because it's animated... The aliens are allowed to look alien. Oh,
1: right? yeah, yeah. sure, sure, you don't sure. Don't worry about like, makeup or strength. Right. It's bites. much more like the oval of, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's yeah. a goop monster and everything. You know? oh. And so, even though, like, you know, the, the legacy of, of Spock, Searcher Spock, would be kind of, it was a disappointment compared to Wrath of Khan. It was one of the bad ones, right. one of the odd ones. At the time, people were really happy with it. Right. Uh, happy enough the days after Searcher Spock's release. When uh, Leonard Nimoy walked into Paramount, then Paramount head of production Jeffrey Katzenberg, Mm -hmm. uh, Katzenberg was like, "Dude, we want you to direct the next one, and we want to take the training wheels off." Oh, nice! Like we want your vision. We're really happy with three. You seem to know what's going on. That Star Trek is a smooth ship. (laughs) It's a smooth operation. So, like, really, like, go nuts. Why? Because, again, like these people have been
2: working in the business for a long time, so mm-hmm. there's not going to be a lot of, like... Well, I'm sure there
1: is diva drama, but, like, these are people who know how to do the scene. Like, Yeah. You know, uh, Harv Bennett, the the producer that we've been talking about since movie two, mm-hmm. as kind of, like, the closest this franchise maybe has to a Kevin Feige-like figure, like, uh-huh. uh, kind of creative and production liaison, head of whatever, uh, he credited... Uh, why this franchise, you know, this version, the original movies were so reliable to um, a discipline of television production. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harv Bennett came from, you know, the $6 million man and the bionic woman and knowing how to make like 20-something episodes of television like, you know, baking a pizza. It's, right. it, you know, and that's that's sort of like, that goes back
3: to like the reusing sets and all of that stuff and it and it also goes to explain why the 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 kelvin movies they only got three made and it's like right. you look at the sets and all of the sets are like half green screen right and so it's just like you know half of them aren't even there mm-hmm. so like if they had just spent the money on building the sets in the first place and then reuse them for the future but they would never do that because like that's not how movies are made anymore it would seem cheap (laughs) it would seem cheap which is ridiculous because it's just like it's the same ship they haven't gone anywhere and it's a
2: weird thing of like we've grown so accustomed to the technology of how we make this movie now yeah I was like no, no, no. If you have a set, it becomes cheaper in the long run. Right. Because when you do CGI, they're not just using the same CGI background. Yeah. They're creating new programs for for the next movie, and so you're just putting in... More man hours, they probably aren't getting paid for, and more, <laughs> like, more effort and everything, like, just use the set over again.
3: Yeah. It's why, like, you hear, like, these huge numbers for, like, these, these, uh, new streaming TV series and mm-hmm. things like that. And people are like, oh my God, they're spending how much for a season? And they'll say things like, oh, it's, it's 13 million an episode or 20 million an episode. But really, that's the journalist. Cutting the overall budget into the number of episodes right. and being like, this is how much it costs. But it, when in reality, most of that money is going to the pilot to build all of the sets and everything that they will then use the rest of the season. Right. right.
1: Like House of the Dragon, super, super expensive show, but right. you're going to the same handful of locations again and again. Totally. Right.
3: Totally. Yeah.
1: Um, uh, and yeah. And also, kind of, you know, thinking of like the, the television, the discipline of television production, not a lot of big egos. Right. But you go back to the Kelvin universe, they're going after like JJ Abrams, right. Justin Lin, big directors that want to be filmmakers. Right. And one how does this fit into my filmography? To say nothing of the filmmakers they've gone after. Which right.
3: is which is so ironic because it, at least in the case of JJ Abrams, he came from
1: television. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's he that was only his like second like, movie. Yeah, no, yeah, because MI3, Tom Cruise was like, I trust this kid. I'm not directing right. it without him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And, like, now, off the record, you know, the Warner Brothers Discovery stuff is kind of in full swing as of recording. Yeah. Right? And there's, like, rumors that a big reason that DC has been so, like, you know, moving with, you know, concrete boots compared to Marvel is you've got, like, Zack Snyder, J.J. Yeah. J. Abrams, all these big dudes that are just for Nolan – that are used to being like the big dude in the room. Right. right. And they don't know how to like shrink themselves.
3: Well, remember when Nolan was literally dictating to them, like, no, that you cannot make any other DC movies as long as I'm making my Batman movie. Right. Because right. yeah, yeah. I don't want them to distract from and it was like the second he was done, they made a Superman movie.
1: <laughs> right,
2: yeah. Right. And it makes no sense because like why wouldn't she want
3: Yeah. More
2: like again, but it's going to what you're saying of like just shrinking down and realizing you're not the only person.
1: Right. Yeah. Hmm. And and Nimoy, the director of the movie, wasn't primarily interested in serving his own ego right. or jumpstarting his own career, which was a kind of a source of conflict with the cast. Uh at one at the on three, they were like, wait, why is Leonard directing? Right. Like, does he think he's better than us? Is he trying to like get higher up than us? Is he still Leonard? And in this one, they went through that journey and kind of were over that. And so they could kind of just be a crew and be more of a team on this well, also, one. Well, also, like, yeah.
2: Nemo is sort of a journeyman director in which he right. doesn't
1: have, like, a visual style mm-hmm.
2: or, like, even, like, a particular, like, move he uses a lot. Right. Um, on this one, though, with Donald Peterson, like, four is much more polished than three. Yes. And I think with the exception of maybe one scene, which we'll get to... Moves pretty good.
3: Yeah. Sure. Co- correct me if I'm wrong. This is, so this is his second film and then yeah. he follows this up with uh, Three Men and a Baby. Yeah,
1: I think Three Men and a Baby is like 1990. Oh, or, wow. No, yeah. no, no, you're right. No, I think it's like late 80s, 89, you know. 80. Yeah. 88 or 89. Yeah, Are you all do remember seeing it in theaters? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I yeah. just saw it on Disney Channel.
2: I didn't, re- at the time I didn't realize it was directed by Spock.
1: Yeah. Oh, definitely, yeah. Oh. Or that someone committed suicide. No, that's been disproved, right? Yeah, that's definitely
3: disproved, <laughs> okay. yeah. It was, a, it was a cardboard cutout of, of Ted Danson in the background. <laughs> yeah, uh. so uh,
1: so with the third one, uh, Nimoy really wanted to you know, focus on the crew, as I said. And with the fourth one, he wanted to go back. He definitely, from the beginning, he and Harv Bennett wanted a lighter tone. Right. He said, some of my favorite episodes of the show were had nothing to do with shooting or killing right. or a bad guy. It was just these characters... Solving a problem, and so that's what I want this fourth movie to be about. I want a, well, a lighter tone and like adventure, science. Right. Um, early on, one idea they had was uh, a twenty third century Earth being plagued by a disease. Okay, so they were like, "That's kind of heavy." <laughs> but but it, they would they would eventually come back around to it and not make that
3: movie with. Uh, remember, that was that fourth Kelvin Star Trek that was going to be about a space plague. Yes, and yeah, then yeah. and then COVID happened. They're like. <laughs> Well, never mind. <laughs> never mind. <laughs> no one wants to see that. Yeah, I, it was either it was the um, the Fargo guy.
1: Oh yeah, I remember he was. It, it, yeah, it was uh, his. It was uh, his uh, Star Howley.
3: Trek. Noah Hawley Star Trek. Really? Movie. Yes, that was What he was going to do when it was in development. I
1: remember reporting on that one. Yeah, like DGT or something.
3: Yeah, because it was like those were the two rival Star Trek. Calvin <laughs> Fours was his and uh, Tarantino's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those were happening. Like
1: two blimps racing into like yeah. a narrow hallway.
3: <laughs> and, then, and then neither, and they both popped yeah. before they started going down the hallway. That blimps
1: tend to do. They you want to. <laughs> uh, so, so some batting around. And then uh, Leonard Nimoy at the time was reading a book about extinct animals. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that was when he came into like the whales. <laughs> Just casually reading a book about extinct animals. <laughs> you know. It's the thing. I can say I did that as a child. <laughs> <laughs> as a child. Not as a yeah. grown man. <laughs> Um, and so uh, because of this movie yeah 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 and, and so he was like oh what, if, what about whales what if they went back in time and like something was coming and like they needed a whale song and we had to go back and like you know that could be fun right, right. Um, Bennett liked the idea Shatner was against time travel as a concept uh-huh. Just <laughs> didn't like it but in interviews he said they went against me and it's the only time they've ever been right to disagree with me oh, man. <laughs> how very magnanimous of you William yes you can yeah. see it he was like, I've seen the residual checks. Um, I was <laughs> I'm okay with this. I'm
3: obviously wrong.
1: <laughs> um, so this was not the first. There was a, a first draft that was written before the script that we saw. Mm-hmm. Um, Eddie Murphy. Was at one point.
3: Right. Yeah. Really? yeah. You, he was going to be the marine biologist. I remember this. Yeah. So
1: there are... Would he still have taken him to lunch? So <laughs> I, I thought about that too. I'm like, wow.
3: Well, because he was, he's a huge Star Trek fan. Yes. He yeah. loves Star Trek. Yeah. And the fact that like he's never done anything in Star Trek actually breaks his heart a little bit. Yeah. Like he desperately wants to do something in Star Trek, but the problem is he's Eddie fucking Murphy.
1: And so no matter what. He's gonna be Eddie. He's Eddie. gonna be Eddie Murphy, and it's right, gonna be right. distracting. Cause like Whoopi Goldberg, also an icon, but nowhere near as like rock starry as Eddie Murphy. Was. Well, and not when she was in. Uh, next, gen. like she was right. just a
3: comedian at that right. point, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. Like, she was still doing that stuff with Robin Williams and Billy Crystal, right? Like, la- 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 Laugh Aid, Laugh so, In, something like that, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Comic Relief, comic relief, comic relief. Yeah. but like, she wasn't like a mega, star. like Eddie Murphy, she hadn't is, won an Oscar
3: yet. That was 90, yeah. Na- that was 90. Color purple,
2: Eddie Murphy is
3: did she win for that or go just Ghost? I, I, think I, think Ghost. It, I think she won for Ghost, Ghost. Ghost. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: But, but like, Murphy. at the time, Eddie Murphy, it's like it's hard to imagine like how massive. He was like this is beyond rock star. I yeah, mean,
3: this is especially at this point.
2: Yeah, oh, it yeah. would have been absolutely distracting. It's like post
1: yeah. Beverly Hills. Cop. This is the like
2: after gold Lake Golden Child works because
1: of Eddie Murphy before Eddie Murphy. Well, it's <laughs> funny you say that. So, uh, <laughs> t- so two writers were brought on to uh, write the script with Eddie Murphy and mine. Um, they were Steve Mearson and Peter Kirks. Ooh. I looked them up. They wrote a parody of those beach movies oh. with Annette Futicello. Oh, okay. Uh, called, like, Back to the Beach. and that's Wait. The, was it with Annette Futicello? Yes.
2: The, okay. okay. And, and I, I saw that as a kid. <laughs> was like,
1: and oh. a 50s singer. I can't think of his name right now. Tommy.
2: Um, yeah. Okay. It, was cool. it the same one who it with all the other beach blankets? Yes, because it was okay. a parody. It was straight up, like, kind he of He used 90s. to do the
1: Disney movies, too, like him. Mm-hmm. Tommy Cook? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Imagine even explaining to a kid. <laughs> <laughs> that was crazy. <laughs> this is why Jeremiah is on the show. <laughs> Imagine explaining to a a thirteen year old today what a beach movie was, right?
3: Yeah, you know, uh, kids they like go to the beach and then they, there's like a live band that plays and they dance. It's yeah. fun because
1: beach not... blanket bingo. You know, it's yeah. a game I never played by the hood. All about. yeah. Uh, so those two were hired to write a screenplay. Eddie Murphy was not happy with it. He didn't like the part. Um, Maybe it has something to do with like you know these guys didn't write very much after this, right. um, but so well, he went on to do the Golden Child. Well, my
3: <laughs> my understanding is the reason that he he actually did not like it is is because he's like this is like every other Eddie. I, this is the same character uh, I play in everything. Okay. I wanted to be I wanted to be in Starfleet. I wanted to be. Like a, 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 a Starfleet. Yeah, flag. that's got to nah. suck. Yeah. To be... I, I want to wear the uniform. I want to do the whole thing. Like, you know, that's I want to be like Scotty's assistant or something. They like... were
1: doing like Richard Pryor in Superman 3. Totally. Right. And that's not
3: what he was. That's not what he was. I've Yeah. Because they didn't ask. You know, <laughs> yeah. they didn't ask. They just
1: they were like, oh, yeah, we can't take Eddie Murphy out of the 80s. Yeah. You know, you yeah. can kind of picture like 80s Eddie Murphy walking around with Spock and Kirk. Maybe kind of I like, would love that. Yeah. <laughs> but
2: I can I, I can see how a producer would never think of it.
1: Right, yeah. Right. And like and Murphy being like, no, I wanna I wanna actually right. be Star Trek. I wanna be like Guinan, you know, I Right. be in the mythos. Right. But like or you know, or I think we keep talking about how good cues right. good alternative
3: cues. Oh yeah. He would have been a good like oh, movie cue. Would. Yeah, yeah. And like
1: this is like
2: the one tragedy that comes with that kind of like stratosphere of fame is that kind of little thing that you really want to do right becomes almost impossible for anyone besides you to conceive of Mm
1: -hmm. yeah like Mm -hmm. no one pictures you just doing something that isn't part of your brand anymore Well, like
2: again like i want to be in star trek right so we'll write you this character where you're the main like no
1: no 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 i want to be in
2: star trek yeah i want to be the character who helped like i want to be a part of Started to act. right, yeah, right. Yeah, like Scott was saying, like
1: Scotty's assistant or something. Yeah, but, but yeah. Like, oh no, no. If you're Eddie Murphy, you have to have like you're going to make this amount of money, so you have to be like this. <laughs> right. There was a the the
2: time the... when you could just see like a huge person as the assistant, mm-hmm. and like yeah, it was usually a gag. But I'm pretty sure he didn't want that to be the gag. Right. Sure,
3: Like sure. gun <laughs> style. Right. Like, yeah, he would be a really he would be a really good cue if they made like another Kelvin. Universe movie, and yeah. he was like their Q or like their Harry Mudd.
1: Yeah, he would be like a Ooh, good Harry Mudd too. Make a really great Harry Mudd. Yeah. yeah, like an unscrupulous dude. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that'd be great. Yeah. Um, I thought about Kelvin Four, Star Trek Four, mm-hmm. a lot watching this mm-hmm. because it's kind of similar situations. Mm-hmm. You know, a crew that we've kind of grown up with now at this point. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be cool to see them in a comedy? Mm-hmm. Um, but so, but cool part about Eddie Murphy leaving was they were left with the script that uh, they were about to pass to. Two other screenwriters, but they were like, that's how we got Gillian Taylor. Okay. Was they were like, hey, what if there was like another woman in this besides Uhura? Mm -hmm. Um, And I've kind of in my research learned that the character of Gillian Taylor like means a lot to like people who grew up with this movie. Right, yeah. you see that. Yeah, That's yeah. A character, I um, a woman so, scientist, right? Uh, so, Paramount head of production or one of the she Dawns. hearts. She hearts whales. She does heart whales. <laughs> 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 the production designer was putting the bumper sticker. Uh, on the show. This will tell. This will let the audience know she likes whales. There's a lot of like little
2: things in Star Trek: Four in a way that you don't have in the other Star Trek movies. Yeah, and I think a lot of that
1: is because you have it set in "quote unquote" the present. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, maybe my favorite part watching it this time was when they're back on the the Klingon Warbird and Sulu's like, I don't remember how this works. I got used to a Huey. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, Paramount's head of production, Don Steele, was the one who approached Nicholas Meyer about returning to co-write this new draft of Star Trek they needed to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the meantime, since Wrath of Khan, Meyer had directed The Day After. Yeah that kind of innovative, it was like the big TV movies can be yeah. big business. Jason wow. Robards? I've never seen it. Yeah.
2: It was like uh, the one that dealing with the nuclear disaster, nuclear winter. Yeah, yeah. It like freaked a bunch of kids in the 80s out. Yeah. Oh. Like,
0: that can happen.
2: <laughs> it can and it will. <laughs> <laughs> well, because that's back when they had things on TV that would freak a kid the hell out. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> <laughs> He's like, okay guys, in this one, we're going to make a lot of jokes about nukes. <laughs> That's a lot of
1: laughs. Uh, <laughs> and then, have you ever, Have either of you ever seen Volunteers with Tom Hanks and John Candy? I have read about it. Okay. Because it was originally
2: meant to be with uh, John Belushi. Oh, mm. then he passed away. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's like, I think they joined the Volunteer Army or something, and it's oh. like a comedy because it's like, nothing's going to happen.
3: Oh. oh it's, it's the 80s. <laughs> it's <laughs> the 80s. Yeah.
1: Uh, so those were like his post-Wrath of Khan projects. Right. And Meyer was happy to come back. And he and Harv Bennett worked out a unique uh, screenwriting structure. Harv Bennett would write the 23rd century bookends. Okay. Uh. And then Meyer was responsible for writing the middle part of the section when they're in San Francisco. Okay. Okay. Um, And it's kind of interesting. It works, you know, you look at those bookends and they are sort of dry in the way that a lot of search for Spock was dry Um, when it wasn't like, you know, crew shenanigans. Right. right? right. Um, And yeah, the script was written in 12 days whoa
2: (laughs) yeah like when you research older movies it's always amazing like we got it done in like 12 days like they used to make movies a lot faster
3: well you know i i i i genuinely believe that the reason that shit like that happened was because you couldn't easily edit what you had written yeah Mm. and i think i think that like you know with the advent of computers and final draft it's like Oh, I can. I, I'm just going to change this. I'm going to tweak this. And then you're tweaking and changing and tweaking and changing and not accomplishing much. Right. And now it takes three months to write something, whereas before, you know, you could just write and be like, well, I guess this is what it is because I'm not rewriting this page. <laughs> right. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like,
2: we printed it all, but the Microsoft, accept, like, well, I mean, yeah, you're not even going to, there's no Microsoft. There's nothing. You just miss this typewriter. Yeah. You're just dealing with it. Maybe writing a note on it or whatever,
3: yeah, and aligning it is probably such a pain in the ass.
1: Yeah, you know, oh, to on.
3: write in a script screenplay format, right, you know, it's done.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so that was, uh, yeah. So I've got some fun like uh, tidbits as we go through our walkthrough. But Nimoy was really happy with the draft. Uh, production started on Feb on the 24th of February in 1986. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, just real quick, what do you guys like on like Nick Maya? Because as a director, like how did you think on Star Trek Two? Oh yeah, I think it's like almost a
1: perfect like blockbuster. Yeah, okay.
2: Cause, okay. Cause this is really interesting because I th- I like this better with Nimoy in the helm because mm-hmm. Nimoy is much more of a like a gentleman, and I don't know if Maya would have
1: done the same. Mm. Well, yeah, this is such a like Nimoy really liked the gadfly attitude he yeah. called in yeah. the script, and he. Just loves this cast, right? Like, that was his north star on three. Was I want to? I really want to hook up these crew, this, these cast members, right. and so the, I think everyone just hit the ground running with this concept and was able to really kind of like, oh, let's drop these characters in different situations. Yeah, you know? I, I, I love Khan
3: and I love Undiscovered Country, but I wouldn't call either of those movies fun. Right? Uh, um, they're like good. They're very good. <laughs> uh, yeah, these are just three and four are just so. Fun. Well, They're so fun to watch. It feels like hanging out with
1: your friends. Definitely. And I think that comes from Nimoy being more of an actor's director. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, mm-hmm. two, two, Three Men and a Baby is also, like, a really fun movie to watch. Right. Because yeah. you're kind of just watching those three dudes hang out.
3: Right. That's true.
2: Well, yeah. And also, no one would have thought that Tom Selleck, Ted Danson, and Steve
1: Gutenberg. <laughs> right. Yeah. It kind of feels names out of a hat.
2: <laughs> it feels like a Mad
1: Lib cast. <laughs> In, like, 87 or whenever the movie came out. Yeah. Um, but,
2: yeah, no. Um... Very much, like, there is almost a sort of, like, for a, Star, for a Star Trek movie, no spectacle, really. There is some.
1: There's some really weird imagery right. that I
2: forgot Which about. I love. Yeah. yeah. But um, this, this
1: not, it's not as spectacle-driven as the others. And definitely, compared to the Kelvin movies, yeah. like, uh, 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 Nimoy points out, there's a part in the movie where Chekhov, like, falls. Yeah. And gets a concussion. Yeah, that's kind of the most hostile, violent act in the whole movie. Which, yeah, uh, when we get to that scene, that was li- originally something different. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. But yeah, and he, I think I think everyone really liked that, especially you know three got so dark and yeah, like you know oh, most Klingon bastards, they murdered my son. <laughs> yeah, right. And like every you know the, the, my research is filled with quotes of like everyone from the cast to like the sound designer to the crew. They were like that was one of the fun ones. Like we really had fun making. Them. Well, it's fun. Yeah. It's also just so streamlined as a movie
2: mm-hmm. yeah it's only like an hour and 38 they sh- hour 42 something like that yeah it's
1: weirdly one of the longer star trek movies but like they've mm. all been like under two hours yeah but, but like the they don't start they
2: don't travel back in time to like what 30 minutes into the episode yeah, and, yeah. not the episode the movie <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> um but we'll um yeah that reminded me of it. oh they shot in san francisco for 10 days mm. really
3: mm-hmm. okay okay Surprised that it's actually San Francisco. I'll be I'll be honest. I thought they were for sure shooting.
2: Oh no, those some like, places on that
1: are like clearly San Francisco.
3: Yeah, I thought I thought for sure they'd be shooting like Canada for San right. Francisco, <laughs> like they <laughs> normally do.
1: I think for sure because like the 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 aquarium they go to is Monterey Bay Aquarium. Yeah, um, and then yeah, like the, the streets and stuff were you know San Francisco. But I don't know about like you know the pizza place they go to. I don't right. know if that was in San Francisco. Sure,
0: sure.
2: One well, thing also like. Because it's set in present day, you have much more of background characters, just like real-life people walking in the back, and that's also something a little bit different for Star Trek, because normally the people in the background of a Starfleet are meant to look like they're in Starfleet, and these are just like... Yeah, these people look different in the 80s.
1: Right. It, it was so, not the jump ahead, but like that when, when it cuts to the 80s mm-hmm. and it's just the bust, bustling streets of San Francisco, it was jarring. You know, yeah. after three movies of like sound stages and like, you know, Star Trek stuff.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, so, uh, Star Trek
3: IV, The Voyage Home, uh, begins with a, a signal, an odd signal being received um and uh and and you know, this sort of like crew on this on this like communications outpost in the neutral zone being like, The hell is this like what is, what is this noise?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, um fun fact, this was just crazy, so the movie's sound designer was uh a guy named Mark Manginus, mm-hmm. who yeah. will come up in another story, but Mark Manginus's brother lived next door. To a biologist named Roger Payne, who was the biologist who discovered the whale sound in 1967. Wow. Oh, wow. So his brother's like, hey, like, Mark, like, you should come over to my neighbor's house. <laughs> and so he was able to listen to, like, original whale call sound clips.
3: Wow.
1: And that helped design, like, the whale call that we hear in the movie. Yeah. But that's I'm, okay, that's really cool. Yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> fate
3: Um... So uh, we cut to a sort of uh, trial
1: esque situation with one of my favorite character actors, John Chuck. Yeah, oh, is he the Klingon? Huh? Is he the Klingon? Yeah. Oh, okay, he was great. I thought it was Christopher Lloyd at first.
2: He has <laughs> no. yeah, much more of a bigger face, but Christopher mm. Lloyd as a Klingon was always a delight. Yeah. <laughs>
1: It's kind of like an airing of grievances. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, it's an airing of grievances, it's also just a reminder of how much Cook is enemy number one to the entire planet of Clam. What is
1: what is it? It's like, no, pause, pause. I want you to see his face. This <laughs> Look demon. Look at this murder. Yeah. Uh yeah.
3: And so he's and he's talking about what happened. From a perspective that is just the most ins- – honestly, it was like – I was like, oh, it's like today. It's just like watching politicians yeah. talk about mm. things that never happened and they just <laughs> – like, I, like he, his whole explanation was like, it's a conspiracy. They were they, – those Klingons were peace – they're a peace. Right.
1: Beauty, they Michigan. discovered
2: him using this weapon yeah. to make this mu- weapon base, oh, And even say oh, Designed like,
1: by his son. Yeah. <laughs> kind of becomes like the Hunter Biden. Yeah. No, him. it
3: absolutely does. Yeah. That's all I can think about.
2: And then Sarek just comes out like, it creates life. It's in the name, Genesis."
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's biased because he resurrected this guy's son. <laughs> Which is an insane
2: thing to say in front of people. Yes. This weapon resurrected this guy's son, you know.
1: <laughs> but, like, and it's, it's kind of what you said at the beginning, Jeremiah, of, like, it everything that happened in Spock mattered right. to Starfleet, to the universe. And now we all have to deal with the fact that the Genesis Project existed, and we all know about it, and, like, Kirk stole, like, you know, they they sabotaged the Excelsior, right. and they stole the Enterprise. Well, it
2: matters, and yet it doesn't. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, if you didn't see three... You'll be like, oh, so that's what happened in that yeah, one.
1: Cool, cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's a big early part of why this is. I think until nine oh, oh nine, it's financially the most successful Star Trek movie. Yeah. And the most critically successful Star Trek movie. Yeah. Because this was one where if you had fallen off since maybe even before the first movie. Yeah. This was everyone's chance to be like, I know Mr. Kirk and Mr. Spock. Yeah. "Yeah, Let's let's go see this. Yeah.
2: Well, it's also one that also like weirdly takes the most chances. Yeah. Because it's kind of absurd.
3: Yeah. Definitely. Well, and it's also very accessible because it is kind of making fun of them. Mm Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, so, yeah. so, so all of the people who are like, ah, Star Trek, like, that's for nerds, whatever. They could watch this and be like, yeah.
1: <laughs> like, you, you know? <laughs> kind of an early proto version of what Marvel would end up doing so successfully. Right, right, right. right. Uh, they even called that out in the documentary of like, I think it was Nimoy or Bennett. They were like, we weren't, we weren't making fun of it, but we weren't taking it seriously. Right, like, you right. Know? We were like, well, what would happen if this happened?
2: Well, like, there's even like an exchange between uh, Scotty and Spock about Kirk. It's like, He's busy today. <laughs> he's like he's The man has deep feelings, and he yeah. goes, "Ah, you can say that again." <laughs> uh, yeah.
3: Um, so the president of the federation, who is sort of leading these proceedings, is like, "Okay, uh, you need to take a step back. You need to chill. They're going to be court-martialed, and they're going to be punished within in the." Way, the federa-
2: not really a punishment. But yeah. In the
3: in the in the federation, they're going to be punished. Um, you know, they're going to face their crimes, whatever. But, like, this doesn't have anything to do with you. You're not part of the Federation of Planets. Get the hell out of here. We've yeah.
2: uh, tried multiple times to get you in. Yeah. But you've denied every time. But we're not just going to
3: hand you a bunch of our people um, for something that you don't even have any proof yeah. of. And he's like, we'll
1: remember this. Yeah. We'll all remember this in the next couple movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then we
3: cut to the crew on Vulcan. And uh, Scotty is sort of like retrofitting the uh, the Warbird and um,
1: the HMS Bounty,
3: right? And they're uh, they're talking about their court martial and everything. And Spock is uh, struggling with the fact that, like, since he's been resurrected, he has no bearing on his emotions whatsoever. Like they're right. just locked away.
1: Yeah, there's it's kind of um really cool scene where he's like. Playing his, his mind games, right. his, like trivia games, and it's really manic and erratic, and like he's downloading it all really fast, and then it just stops with "How do you feel?" and I'm like, Ooh, and that like leaves him flat footed. Yeah. yeah, and he just is utterly unable to answer the question, and it's like a really cool moment to like just have the audience immediately, be, oh, this is where Spock is at, right? This is kind of what his arc is going to be. Well,
2: and right. also like again, if you've never seen the first three, it tells you, oh, he's half human.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. and also
2: like he do, he does he doesn't struggle with his emotions, but yet you can clearly tell he is because mm-hmm. he's not, he does feel discombobulated. He doesn't feel a hundred percent because being resurrected from the dead <laughs> <laughs> via a nucleus. What was it? What was the weapon? The well, not the weapon. It was
1: oh Genesis. Yeah, Genesis, was Genesis nuclear. was No, that oh, was okay. Or uh, whatever, however,
2: However it was powered. It can't be like. Zipping off a bandage, it's got to leave you a little bit like a hangover.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. He like <laughs> so they grew a new body that like lived a whole life, right? right. In a short span of time, in a really right. truncated amount of time, while the consciousness was festering in McCoy's unconsciousness, right. right? All the while dealing with you know a Cleon space battle. Yeah, so he's out of it. <laughs> uh, we meet his mom. Is this the first time we've ever seen Spock's mom? No, no. Okay, yeah, just in the movies. Got it. I think. Um, I didn't
2: say, like, she was, there was a whole episode of the original one, like, his dad's, like, going through senility, Senility? am I thinking of the generation?
3: That's the next next generation, yeah. But
2: she was in the original series, if I remember correctly.
3: Yeah, she was, yeah. Um, So, meanwhile, uh, over on Earth, the uh, probe is getting closer to the planet, and there's a sort of, like, they say that it's, like, an ion field that is disabling their like global power grid that they use, and so there's like communications are going haywire haywire, all their electrical stuff is going haywire, and it's just like wrecking havoc on the planet mm-hmm. um and uh, they're like that's we don't know what this is, we don 't know how to communicate with this thing, we don 't know what 's going on, but it's bad, and it could <laughs> it could destroy earth um, it, it is destroying it. <laughs> yeah yeah so so uh. They're leaving, and they're like, we're just we're going straight into a court martial. This is going to be fun, yeah. great. And, uh, and we're arriving in in an enemy warship,
2: yeah. <laughs> Which again, as a setup, that's just awesome yeah, I'm yeah. like no almost just like we we didn't really envision this is how a day was going
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> i really love the bounty because it just kind of is a visual indicator of how ramshackle the crew is at this point yeah right. like they don't even have the enterprise anymore right and they're just like they've stolen this ship
2: well at one point they like um chekov is talking to uh cook, and he's like, I do not wish to be shot down on the way to our own funeral. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's
1: like, good point. Um, I think at this point we get like the kind of cameo of... of uh, uh, Savic. Savik. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. So she decides to stay. Now, originally, of course, this was the pregnancy storyline that they, that they decide. Yes, that when uh, Spock was uh, going through his... Ponfar. Pon on Genesis. In, in, on Genesis. Um, she had to sleep with him or he was going to die, she then gets pregnant with his child and stays on Vulcan. Um, and, and instead – so that was why she was staying behind and they were going to reveal that in a future Gosh, movie. That's the
1: holy matrimony all the And over why again. like every scene with Zavik and Spock, she is just giving him the most meaningful like Anton Chekhov like glances. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. And the, the concept would basically be like in the next movie presumably – we would have we would deal with the ramifications of of spock having a having a kid three Three men and a baby yeah
1: um (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> That's if, 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 if. Uh, the themes of Nimoy's career. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if, if that, the, yeah, I think, I think maybe like that was his idea. And then like when uh, Shatner was like, no, there's no fucking way you're directing another one before I do. I'm directing <laughs> the next one. And he
1: was like, okay. And then he just takes his idea for Spock's kid <laughs> and turns it into three men and a baby. He, he just, <laughs> he just deletes the Star Trek part. Of yes. Star Trek, three men and a baby. Yes. Originally it was, it was Kirk, Bones and Spock trying to figure out how to raise a kid together. I want to raise a green blooded baby, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> it writes itself. Oh, ah. my <laughs> oh my god! But yeah, so so that was that was a setup for for
3: a future movie that uh, they they chickened out on and bailed on. Good. Um, <laughs>
1: and uh, so that that's how they were even able to get. Um, I keep forgetting her name, but yes, the, the actress playing Savick back for that. I was like, so shocked that she was in for that short of a time. Kelly Gillis. Am mm-hmm. I oh, thinking of? Because it was. Um, was, I don't. I don't remember. Okay. I, okay. I don't have any. Because she was like, because uh, she doesn't come back after this. That's right. the end of her. Uh, Robin Curtis. Robin, Robin Curtis. Curtis. Yeah. So she was like, "Oh, cool. They're gonna. I'm gonna show up in the next one. Presumably, I'll like the script. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then,
0: You'll like
2: happy. it even better. There is none. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um. So. So yeah.
3: Like she shows up and she's like giving Spock lots of meaningful looks. Says goodbye to Spock. Um, then talks to Kirk. And it's like, hey, I just want you to know uh, when David died, he de- died like a total badass, and you should be really proud. He's like, I know, you told me in the last movie. Yeah. Oh, I did. I- <laughs> but the audience needs to be reminded. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, even though it will not come up in this movie right. at all. Um, <laughs> but but uh, I'm not
2: saying everything needs to be reminded. I'm just yeah. saying that's why they did it.
3: <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and then she leaves, and she just stays behind, no reason given whatsoever.
2: Yeah, no. I found out, like she not wanting to come. does she not have to face a court martial too? It seems like she has. Yeah. No, just staying
1: behind. I guess.
3: <laughs> no, so just weird. Staying behind. No, just she stay- wouldn't have faced a court martial because she didn't have.
1: She wasn't part of the enterprise right. crew. In in, in she was. A, she, her, and David were uh, marooned. Right. Yeah. On the Chisholm.
2: That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right. it's kind of. I just, guess she had some vacation days, man. Starfleet. Knew. Yeah,
1: it's unfortunate. <laughs> she really is like a casualty of like this is such a like getting the gang back together. Yeah. So it's like, maybe Nemo was like, I don't know what to do with Savic, But then also it seems like a big part was like the subplot they were trying to make happen of her being a mom. Yeah. The
2: subplot seems also very much like we don't know how to have a woman character. What's, what, what can we do with
3: well, that? Well, because right. the, the, the overarching issue is that Spock was supposed to permanently die in Wrath of Khan, and Savic was going right. to replace Spock as the new Spock in the movies. But when... Leonard anymore comes back, they're like, oh, now we don't know what to do with her.
1: Yeah, she's, 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 the, she's the Jeremy Renner in Mission Impossible. Yeah. Gotcha. Of her original purpose was no longer needed, but they didn't want to get rid of her, so she was just greatly reduced. Right. Gotcha. Right.
3: Um, so she's gone, never to be seen from again. Uh, they invited her back for six, uh, and she turned the role down, and so then they wrote a different character.
1: Um, spoilers for six.
3: Spoilers for six. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, so that's that's sad. Um, Robin Curtis,
1: bless. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I uh, yeah. The, I like the crew just accepting their fate, but then like they get this distressed and all. Don't come oh. to Earth. The vibes are awful. Yeah. Well, well, I feel you on that one. I don't. <laughs> but I will say, getting back to the
2: ship, I do like how um, Peterman, the cameraman, and Nimoy do a good job of. Giving you the layout of the ship. Yes. In a way that we don't normally get at, like, even the Enterprise.
3: Yeah. Mm, it, it, yeah. Much better than um, the use of the camera in uh, Search for Spock when we were oh, in yeah. the same ship. Yeah. The, but, like, you know, right. just that, yeah. that
2: conversation with um, Scotty about mm-hmm. the engines and just it follows him as he's walking along. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you have that scene with, uh, which we'll get to, with McCoy and Kirk walking around the ship having right. that brilliant conversation. It's like, oh, I get a sense of a Klingon Warbird of, a bird of Prey, which I haven't really gotten in a while. Yeah, mm-hmm.
3: yeah.
1: I didn't do my research. I didn't, I didn't check to see if this had a different DP than 3, or what the other DP's credits uh, were. I
2: believe so, but yeah. I could be wrong.
1: Oh, okay.
3: Yeah, I'm fairly certain it does. Because
2: um, uh, Peterman also did Flash Stamps.
3: Oh, wow. Which is
2: notable because it's my wife's favorite movie, and awesome is good.
3: I've never seen Flashdance. <laughs> um, so uh, there's that scene before before the the, the Earth um, call comes through. There's that scene between McCoy and Spock where McCoy is just like, "Hey, so uh, <laughs> death? How about a thank you or, or something? Like, how about I'm going to thank you for carrying you around in my brain? Also, what was death like?
2: You know, like I could uh, I could hold your soul, but I could never fill your shoes." And he's like, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, can you give me some uh, more? Yeah, <laughs> and he's like, so what was it like? You know, you truly gone where no man has gone, gone before. And he's like, well, I can't describe it without any frame of reference. And I was like, you mean I have to die for us to talk about what dying was like? like yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, it's Such a beautiful thing because, like, he so desperately wants to have this
2: what what could be a very interesting conversation, and Spock just absolutely refuses because he's like, look, I got, I'm I just recently came alive. And I am not going to dig through this with an amateur. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, It's a return to kind of where he was at in uh, the first couple movies. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
3: Well, and I also, I just love... Like, McCoy does this thing for his friend, and so now he's just like, okay, so we're going to, like, have more of a bond now.
1: And Spock <laughs> shuts that shit down immediately. Oh, no, it's actually last worse than it was before.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Like, he's not even calling Cook Jim anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Which is really bugging him.
1: Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, he keeps calling him Admiral, even when they're back in the 80s. Yeah. Right.
3: Well, and I think that was just to continuously remind everyone that he is an admiral so that when you get to the end of the movie, (laughs) yeah, it means something. Um, So, uh, yeah, so they're told to stay away from Earth. Um, They find the probe message and they're listening to it and they – um, realize, Uhura uh, uh, realizes that it's being directed at Earth's oceans, so she changes the pitch mm. to sound like it would be underwater. And then suddenly, Spock is like, "That's a whale song." Um, pretty cool, honestly. Yeah, yeah, for for a movie about whales, which is like very silly, right? It's a very silly '80s thing. It's a really cool way of like introducing mm. this, the very Star Trekky way.
2: Well, well, it's very Star Trekky. It's a silly idea, mm-hmm. but then they do a through line with it yeah. that elevates it in so much that it gives the whales agency.
0: Yes,
3: yes, and
2: it brings forth <laughs> a sci-fi idea that gets explored a lot, but no one really does it with. Uh, human beings aren't the only thing on Earth that yes. an alien intelligence would want to talk to. Right. right, We haven't even been on that Earth as long as some other
1: things. Right. Yeah, like Spock calls it out early, like the arrogance of man for assuming that they're trying to talk to us. Right. right. And like, you know, whales have been on Earth for tens of millions of years. What makes you think, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so, yeah, like it, the more they, even by the time they get to time travel, yeah, you're kind of like, okay, yeah, I kind of <laughs> buy this. Like it's Spock. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah,
2: It's also a wise decision to have someone like Spock say because it just sounds so – because he has no emotion, it just sounds so official. It's also –
3: but it it is also very, like, so long and thanks for all the fish. (laughs) Sure, sure, sure. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Almost literally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just whales instead of dolphins, but yeah.
2: Right. Well, and also, like, the way that they even imply that the whale songs are so complicated they can't learn it in time to – they speak entirely different alien languages, surely they have like they have a babblefish of some sort, right. but the whale songs aren't it's too complicated to start from like a base level in time to save the earth yeah, right? yeah, right.
1: and it, it's a little bit of ways in the plot, but yeah, there's a really and vital scene where the whales are invited into the decision making process yes
2: oh yeah, yeah no no there's one way to get there. but yeah very yeah, much yeah. of the did you ask them? What do they say? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, they they don't like the way they're being treated. Yeah, that's fair. They're they're being treated pretty awfully. Mm-hmm. Are they going to help us? Right, right, right. Which implies, well, we have we have to have a plan B in case they say no. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean about the agency of, like, even having the notion of asking the whales
1: to come along. Right, right. I feel
2: like nowadays we would just kidnap the whales and have them come in. But, like, to go that extra mile of giving the whales an interiority.
3: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so upon hearing the whale song, they're like, okay, we need whales. We can't recreate their language. Cause, so we need like actual whales. But whales have been extinct for the past like 200 years and went extinct in <laughs> the 21st century. So what do we, what do we do? Uh, and that's when um, Kirk comes up with the idea of, like, got to do a time warp. Uh, and the old Star Trek standby. Yeah, and I, and I, like, I like it where he's like, uh, Mr. Spock, uh, start your calculations. And he's like, all right. And so he's just, like, doing maths over in the corner uh, while everybody preps to go back in time.
2: I, yeah, though, no, like, I think also part of the thing is they don't stop and talk about how silly it is. Kind of do, but not not really. It's yeah. just like, okay, we're going by time travel. Sweet, let's yeah. get ready. We know what we've got to do. We need the calculations. Yeah,
1: yeah well, you know, to go, I guess to go back to math, the original equation of Star Trek, the three-point triangle of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, like, McCoy gets to be the, like, this is crazy. <laughs> Are you, This isn't going to work. And, and, but Kirk has to be the one like, I, but it's our only option we've got to try.
2: Well, and also, like, you want to time travel? Yeah, you know, we can do it. It's pretty easy. Sure, slingshot, slingshot around the sun. Hope you don't burn up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's so like, yeah. yeah
3: that's how it works. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, again, that's that scene where they're talking, they following them along. It's a w- lot of walking
1: talks in this movie. Yeah. Kind of hang a like... hangout movie. Mm-hmm. It's almost kind of like a hangout movie.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like, um, there's that, that one line he has of, you're proposing that we go backwards in time, find humpback whales, then bring them forward in time, drop them off, and I hope to hell they tell this probe what to go do with this self. Yeah. I yeah. was <laughs> like, I wish more movie could sum themselves up so succinctly. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and then we get the sort of like 3D model trip out. Uh, Which I love.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the, the part that really arrested me was like the idea of – it's almost like the crew becomes a single entity, mm-hmm. yeah. and that entity is what, like, traverses through space-time. Yeah. And, like, they all have this, like, weird collective shared experience. Well,
2: it's this weird mixture of CGI, mm-hmm. and Nemo is a photographer. Oh, yeah. And there is a weird moment where it feels like we're just looking at a still photograph, and then it just cuts to Kirk's face. Mm-hmm. And right. it's this weird thing of, like, what, what is that? Is that inside? like serenity? Is that? But it works. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's an interesting way to show time travel without having to show time travel. Right. It's more like these, the psychological and emotional effect of what doing that is.
1: Yeah, it's, like, expressionistic. Right. Yeah. And also,
2: after they get alive, there's that moment of, like, ugh.
3: Yeah. Because <laughs> it would
2: be physical training.
1: Yeah, yeah, I bet. yeah. And poor Spock just came
2: back to life, and now he has to do this.
3: Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Uhura finds some whale song, and she's like, oh, that's weird. It's coming from San Francisco. <laughs> and and, and has that line where he's like, San Francisco? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> 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 they don't they don't have aquariums and right. zoos anymore. Because they're extinct. There yeah. would be no need. Yeah, so they're just like, why would why would they be in San How are they coming to the San Francisco? In the middle of the city? Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Um,
2: but then McCoy has a strange line of, it hasn't changed a bit. And I'm like, that's sad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's been 300 years. It looks exactly the same. The skyline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, like when you, I guess, when the little bits we do see of the 23rd century, it is kind of that, like, it's not entirely spacey. Right. Mm-hmm. You do kind of still have, like, the outlines of society. Yeah. Um, and is this when we're confirmed that uh, Sulu, is, Sulu was born in San Francisco? Yeah. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. also have me wondering
2: if the future is a walkable city. On that,
3: oh
1: yeah,
2: <laughs> you guys have gotten better. <laughs>
3: yeah. um, so they land in uh, Golden Gate Park, um, and they, they they toss on the uh, the cloak uh, yeah. so nobody can see Which, them.
2: Which I love the uh, the two garbage men. Yep. Yeah. That one. Especially because of like, I didn't, you see that? No, I didn't. And you didn't either. Just like yeah. the amount of paperwork, the amount of stress it's going to, we're not getting paid enough for
3: this. <laughs> That's, they're, they're, uh, they are like two characters that I could have absolutely seen them going out to like Dan Aykroyd and John Candy <laughs> as like cameos. I thought one of them was John Ratzenberger.
1: Oh, mm, I for, like, can see that.
3: <laughs> yeah. um, So, uh, so then the first thing they do, they like, they need cash money. Mm. So the, the antique glasses that Kirk got for his birthday in Wrath of Khan, um, he takes to a pawn shop. Mm. Uh, but they, they broke in the last movie. Um, and so they're a little, they're a little broken and they give it to the guy. (laughs) I just, I love these songs. He's like, well, if they were in better condition, I could offer you more money, but for these, I can give you a hundred bucks. And he's like, is that a lot? Is that, is that a lot? <laughs>
2: well, I just also like Spock, like those were a birthday present, and they will be again. That's the beauty of it.
1: That's <laughs> 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 great, and it kind of it, it it sets up the this movie's ethos of time travel, right. which is like it'll work out. Yeah. Well,
2: and okay. also like he gives them, like at least a hundred dollars, and then they split that up amongst seven yeah. people. I'm like that's like less than twenty bucks a piece. Of money. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, big fan of uh, everybody. Remember where we parked? Yeah. Yep. Very good.
2: Also, uh, judging by the pollution content of the atmosphere, I believe we provide in the latter half of the twentieth century. <laughs> That's great. Sick
1: burns Buck. No need to be <laughs> so Bones is uh, nothing but contempt too. He's like, God, it's, it's a miracle these people get out of the twentieth century.
3: <laughs> so they so they split up and they all take a different job. So uh, Scotty and McCoy are going to like figure out how to get a tank built right. into the into the bird of prey for the whales to to travel back to the future with them. Um, Chekhov and Uhura are looking to power up.
2: Um, Did I the dilithium crystals that are fading.
3: Yes, so he has to look for uh, uh, nukes, basically. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Kirk and and Spock are going to let like, go and find the whales. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just I love the setup of Chekhov. Being the Russian in the 80s looking for nukes.
1: <laughs> Apparently, this killed. Oh, I can only oh, imagine. Yeah, yeah 100%. It, it's, but, al- yeah. it's like kind of almost hard to communicate to viewers today, like, how, like, what a big deal. I mean, me, like, you know, I was born in 91, so, like, I don't really remember the, the fucking yeah. Cold War, but, like, the joke of like, oh, yeah, at the time, like the, the, the cop's face. Right. You yeah. Know? <laughs> of
3: like. and, and the fact that nothing is happening in that scene because they know that the audience is losing their goddamn minds. Right. Yeah. <laughs>
1: well, I mean, even then, like,
2: one of the people even was like, oh, so across the bay. It's like, yeah, but where's Alameda? And it's like, she yeah. just told you.
1: <laughs> oh, uh, fun fact about her. Uh, so, so there's like a, an urban legend that they, those, they didn't even know that they were being filmed. But they had you to know. have known. They were extras pulled in from the street. Mm-hmm. Right. So they knew they were in Star Trek or whatever, but they weren't actors.
3: They like signed a quick waiver and then got on yeah. screen. Yes. Yeah.
1: And so that actress um, kind of semi-improved her lines of like, oh, Alameda, you know, to the left. That's what they said. <laughs> like, she had to join SAG in order for those lines not to be cut from the film.
2: Oh, no.
1: <laughs> Oh wow. Yeah. Um, but also um, we
2: skipped over the simplicity of Spock's disguise.
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah. <laughs> Terrific.
2: I was like, because I remember as a child being like, oh, that's cool. But as an adult, just from like in terms of like, how do you solve this problem? Oh, damn. I'm glad the Vulcans are really just pointy eyebrows and pointy ears. That's <laughs> yeah. a really
1: easy. <laughs> and it's really funny because the headband to me is a really iconic Part of Spock's look. Yeah. I yeah. I remember that. I completely forgot that it's just so he can hide the ears. <laughs> <laughs> and the IVA. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 I, I will
3: say, I, I think it's interesting that, like, so, so he does that. Obviously, everybody else is human, but one of the things that I've always been fascinated about in Star Trek, and it's all Star Trek across the board, I think it might not be in the Kelvin movies. Maybe after re- when we rewatch them, I'll answer this question. But the fact that all sideburns on the fu- in the future are triangles. <laughs> Every single man in Star Trek has triangle sideburns. Wow. Every single one. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be on the lookout now for the rest uh, of the series. Without fail. Without fail. Um, every Star Trek series, everything—if they have sideburns, they, they come down to like triangle points.
2: It must be because visually they seem like a, there's a. They give like a sort of like aggressiveness to it.
1: Yeah, or like the star the, the Starfleet badge. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but
3: I, I, it's something, I once I noticed it, I can't not notice it. And I'm like, yeah, it's every everybody has these. What? what is the Whose decision was this? Because I never hear anyone ever talk
1: about it, you know?
3: Mm-hmm. But it's just like un, an unsaid standard right. in Star Trek. It's like how
1: no one in Star Wars can read.
3: Yeah, right. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. Um, this is an extremely primitive and paranoid culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. I McCoy. I mean, everyone shines in this, right. but like McCoy's like contempt for everything, right. which I, I I would imagine would only grow even more
2: if he came back today. But
3: <laughs> his, uh, I mean his his time to shine comes later, for and sure. it is just peak peak <laughs> McCoy. Um. So uh. So yeah. So so they're looking for uh, nuclear uh, vessels.
2: Can I just point out one thing about yeah. that one thing? The looking in the phone book. Yeah. Did you find it? Yeah, under U.S. government. Which, it's <laughs> not a joke. That's where you would find it.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> because that's how the phone book worked. It really was that weird.
1: <laughs> so strange. That's another thing that it was like, you know, there's that visual joke of like, well, we can't find, can't find it? Check right. the yellow pages. Well, yeah. like, there's a lot
2: of stuff in this movie that is specific to the 80s. Yeah. That yeah. I don't know, like, modern, like, even, like, the artists they mention on the bus, specific to the 80s. Yeah. So much so that I didn't
1: even know who Helen oh, Robbins was. Oh, that's a great joke. So that went way over my head. Yeah. I'll, I'll bring it up now. But yeah, they're on the bus and Spock's like, or Admiral, like, why are, why are we, our, our language, you know? Why are the, you cussing so much? Oh, with the double, oh God, what does Kirk say? The, he he says, dumb well, ass. double dumbass to you. <laughs> double dumbass to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, another. Um. It's like, oh, well, that's just the way they talk, you know, Spock, with the, the great novelists of the time. Uh, Jacqueline Suzanne, Jacqueline Suzanne and uh, Harold, Her- Harold Robbins, uh, the Giants. <laughs> and so the joke of that is at the time Harold Robbins and Jacqueline Suzanne were very commercially successful novelists uh-huh. that had no uh, critical respect whatsoever. Yeah. Oh, uh, I see. Like Jeremiah, you made, a, you made a I think I don't know if it was off mic or on mic but you were talking shit about like Robert Ludlum yeah. or like Jack Reacher and it would be that would be the joke now. If if Spock was like, oh, yeah, like Nora Roberts and James Patterson. I wasn't the talking shit about Jack Reacher. I love
2: Jack Reacher. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs>
2: but I understand. Because like, I looked up Harold Robbins. So I was mm-hmm. like,
1: who the hell is
2: this guy? And someone, it was a 2019 Hollywood Reporter article. They're like, he's the Onassis of supermarket literature. I'm like, that's still such a dated reference. Right, Because yeah. who knows who Aristotle Socrates Onassis is anymore. <laughs> yeah. but it, well, Which, by the way, hell of a name. Oh, definitely, Yeah. <laughs>
3: Well, th- we were in a really interesting transitional period, too, with, uh, uh, with novelists mm-hmm. yeah. in the 80s. Because you had people like Stephen King, who now we look at and we're like, oh, master of his craft. Right. Like, nobody writes books like Like the Stephen Ray King.
1: Bradbury of yeah. our... Yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: He's, he's, he's going to be remembered as, like, you know, uh, one of the absolute greatest, one mm-hmm. of the giants. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, but, but, like, back then, yeah, he was just like a grocery store... Right. Author, no critical respect whatsoever. So much so that he ended up he in the '90s he leaned into it right. and started um, selling the Green Mile as little novellas. Like yeah. it was a three part mm. novella thing, sold in grocery stores, like ah. at the at the checkout lane. Which is kind also ironically. like the notion
2: yeah. of supermarket literature.
3: Yes, doesn't
2: does
1: that exist anymore?
2: Uh, I think... Like, s- I'm sure it in the- does, but, like, in a public
1: context. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, in the literal sense, yes, you could still go to any, like, Ralph's or Target or Walmart, and yeah. there'd be, like, a little section where you get, like, a Robert Ludlum or a Stephen King. Right. But it's not, like, an industry the way it right. was. Right. The-
2: like, you used to just be able to buy books, like, they were worth the candy.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> Actually, I think now the joke would be, like, oh, yes, E.L. E. James, you know? Yes. Well,
2: right. yeah, because the joke itself is basically the art that you think survives yes. will never be the art that actually survives. Right. Jacqueline right. Suzanne and Harold Robbins not only are just hugely commercially successful, right. also really trashy. Right, But, yeah, so yeah, like, yeah. in that fun sort of, like, exploitation, like, this, this survives in the 23rd century? Right, right. Mm-hmm. Well, Hamlet, by his own, like, even Shakespeare, by its own time, is almost like the Michael Bay of his time. Right. Sure. Yeah. And that's the one stuff that has li- outlived almost everything else at the time. Yeah. yeah. Right, this dude who was writing for the masses at the yeah. time. Right, right.
1: So it's like this weird little joke that like, I had to look up. And then, that's, that's a good joke.
3: That's so great. Also in that scene, uh, <laughs> Spock takes out a punk.
1: Uh, I have a story behind that one. Yeah. Is this before? They haven't gotten to the... Oh, yeah, because they don't get to the aquarium yet,
3: right? Yeah. Right, right. They're on the bus to the aquarium. Yeah,
1: he he's
2: yeah. just realized, like, they get onto the bus and they have to get the money because they don't know what exact change is.
0: Right, right. <laughs> what
1: does it mean, exact change? <laughs> so uh, the punk rocker is associate producer Kirk Thatcher mm-hmm. uh, holding the boombox with the mohawk. Uh, he would go on to reprise his character in twenty seventeen Spider-Man Homecoming. Okay. Oh, <laughs> there's uh, the scene where Spider- That's the same guy where Spider-Man and the guy from Severance uh, is like, do a flip. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, behind do a flip guy is Kirk Thatcher holding a boombox. Because <laughs> well, didn't McCoy do something with him, too? Oh, that I don't know. OK, huh.
2: but the, I know the song on the boombox he wrote.
1: Yes. Yeah. I wow. hate you. Yeah. So uh, Kirk Thatcher was like worried that they were going to go to some studio and pay some cheap band to put their track in there and it wouldn't sound like punk. So he was like, "Hey, some of our sound editors were like actually in a punk band." So like we can go out and record this like really quick. So it was him, the associate, they're the sound editors and uh Mark Mangini, the guy who lived next door to the brother. <laughs> So they go to the like the Paramount recording lot Yeah. and they're like, "Oh, these microphones sound way too good." <laughs> <laughs> So they used, they used to use microphones to record uh, Slate audio. And yeah. like, that's what they used to record the song on. It sounds like a Sex
3: Pistols song.
1: Yeah, yeah, it does. So yeah.
2: much so that I thought it was a Sex Pistols song yeah. until I looked it up. I was like, oh, wow, you did a really good job. <laughs>
3: yeah. So <laughs> it worked. Yeah, no, that's, that's really – it really does sound like an era-appropriate punk song. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really
1: impressive.
2: I don't know if Spock needed to, you know – Knock him out, but uh, this was inspired by
1: a real, uh, real, real wish fulfillment for Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> Not a punk man, he was like, Oh, there'd be these kids on the bus, and I just <laughs> wanted to neck pinch the shit out of them. <laughs> <laughs> Youths, Youths. <laughs> um,
3: so uh, then we meet um, Dr. Jillian Taylor, um, who is our oddly enough. The fact that both parents are from Seventh Heaven are in the Star Trek movies is <laughs> yeah. so
1: strange. This is how outside of my wheelhouse Seventh Heaven is. Yeah. I was like watching Catherine Hicks and I was like, gosh, she's really good. It's a shame nothing ever. <laughs> Where did she go after this? And then literally getting ready to record, I was like on my phone, like, oh, she was the mom in Seventh Heaven. Yeah.
2: <sighs> I mean, I look at it as though three people from Colombo in this movie, but that- Oh, really? Linda <laughs> Nimoy, uh, William Shatner, and um, the actor who plays Chuckoff, whose name I just blinked on. I feel like
1: if you watch a movie before, like, 1989, you're going to get at least one or two, like, Columbo alumni, right? Oh, yeah. Columni? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, we got, we got Catherine Hicks. Um, she a, was not a big, she was not a Trekkie at all. Yeah. Like, no idea. Besides, like, you know, I guess what everyone knows. But she said, I think that ended up kind of helping me. Mm-hmm. To be like a real outsider of like not even knowing,
2: well, and also being a Trekkie <clears throat> means something different now than it did before the internet. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah,
3: that's true. Okay. Simply because you didn't have the internet, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Um. So we get this great scene. So she's leading a, a tour group, um, and Kirk and Spock are on the tour group, and we get this great scene where she she's like, "Yeah, so this is where the whales are. Let's go downstairs and go look at them." Uh, it through the tank, and they go downstairs, and, and Kirk hasn't realized that Spock isn't with him anymore. And, like, just by the, I just love the fact that, like, Kirk's reaction to Spock swimming with the whales is like, Oh, oh no, I oh, oh god. Uh, and he's like walking around, like, trying to, but like, everyone is seeing it except for her, she's the only one with her back to the tank. Yeah, so like, this whole tour group is watching Spock swim with the whales, and they're just like. She's like, uh, and no
2: one knows what the songs mean or who they're being sung to. And it's like, little old lady, maybe he's singing to that man in the dance.
1: And then uh, you, you kind of, you mentioned the scene earlier, but like they back on the, the surface outside of the tank, you know, Gillian Taylor's like, what are you doing with my wool? Right. You know, like, well, what well, the hell? The hell they are, your whales. You know? <laughs> well, and
2: also um, another reference, George and Gracie. Yes. Is yeah. a
1: reference to George Burns and
2: Gracie Allen.
1: Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right.
2: Yeah. And I doubt, like, I knew that at the time because I was a, I was a weird kid. I was a massive George Burns fan. But <laughs> I can't imagine people nowadays getting George and Grace, because that wasn't meant as a reference, because that does sound like something you would name whales as a reference to a one-time famous
1: radio vaudeville couple. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> I guess, like, um, you know, sometimes you see movies and, like, in sci-fi movies, and the lab rats will be named, like, Fred and Wilma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right.
3: It's definitely I mean, that kind
1: of thing. The editor of uh, Star Trek 4 is also the
2: editor of uh, Oh God Book 2, which stars George Burns. But.
1: Ah, <laughs> that's a franchise we haven't gotten into, the Oh God franchise. Oh, I'll totally be down for that. <laughs> Season 3.
3: <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, So the, yeah, the hell they did, that whole thing. And then like as they're walking away, Kirk is just like, uh, maybe you don't need to curse. Maybe just, it's fine. You know, you You're <laughs> not... <laughs> You're not good at it. Okay. <laughs> and I love the irony of that, of, like, Spock is so bad at it that Kirk, who is terrible at it, is like, right. maybe you shouldn't do this.
2: Yeah. Well, like, he, he's so confident that he's good at it, right up until, like, oh, yeah, I think he might have done a little bit too much LDS. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> too much LDS. And
1: it kind of, it works because um, in the movies, and I think in the show as well, they've kind of established that everyone has a passive relationship to 20th century culture right like we see characters reading moby dick or being able to quote hamlet so like lds it's (laughs) you know it's like me i've i've read some novels set in the 1800s i've read a few things but like i probably would get like really minor stuff wrong
3: yes yeah absolutely um so uh she uh, she picks them up in her truck her iHeart Whales truck. Yeah. Um, and then says, Do You guys like Italian, and I love that. He's like, Yes, no, no. no.
2: I love that Spock has a really definitive opinion on yeah. Italian food.
3: No. <laughs> yes. And he says it, he says it multiple
1: times too. He's like,
3: No, no, no.
1: I'm not even yes. the garlic doesn't sit well <laughs> yeah. with me. I'm not doing this. Uh, there's a great uh part where they go to drop off uh Spock at you know, the landing zone to go and to go to the uh Italian restaurant and Gillian's like Wait. So we're just he's gonna hang out in the bushes while we go eat. That's his way.
2: <laughs> well, also like there's a weird, it's it kind of makes sense nowadays, but like in probably it didn't make sense like for me like when I was a teenager when I re-watched it mm-hmm. was this isn't some macho stunt you're pulling because if it's anything to do with that macho stuff I'm right out. Yeah, and it took me like as a kid I didn't it went over my head yeah. Yeah. as a teenager I didn't get it but and they're like oh yeah this would seem like something some man group would do as some way to assert your masculinity of you haven't lived until you swam with no, the whale.
3: Now, <laughs> now it would be now it would be like this isn't like a TikTok thing right Right? you're <laughs> doing
1: this for like this is like you know this isn't a, a, a salacious lick or whatever right. it's called yeah right? yeah
2: <laughs>
3: you doing this for clout is this for clout no, uh, no. Uh,
1: <laughs>
2: well I also just love the cook. even admits you're not catching us at our best here yeah
1: <laughs> It's, I think the Gillian Taylor of it all is really swift and fun. Yeah. Because they avoid a lot of the pratfalls of, like, you're crazy. I'm out of here. Like, you know. Yeah. Well,
2: again, it goes back to, like, we're just going to go with it. Time yeah. travel? Yeah. let's go. Whale. Well, okay. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: I think a great moment. Are we at, she hasn't, there's a lot of stuff before she comes back to the aquarium, right? Oh, yeah. So okay, much so stuff. 30. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so, uh. After this, when they go
3: and they drop off Spock, um, we cut to uh, oh. Sc- Scotty and McCoy, um, and they are taking a tour of uh, the factory that's going to make the the stuff they need for the tanks. Flexicore, yeah.
1: <laughs> um,
3: and he, he, they've convinced this guy that runs this company that like. You know, Scotty is, like, a big important... From Edinburgh. <laughs> yeah, from Edinburgh. A big important guy in this... In <laughs> Don't this, get paid in the pot. Yeah. And so uh, he brings him into his office, and he was like, what if... Um, how how thick is this material, you know, to, to hold, like, you know, this much water and like whatever? Six inches. Yeah, six inches. like, what if I could give you something that was only an inch? And then he, like... Pulls up the computer. Which, first
1: of all, the hello computer. Oh, that computer threw me. <laughs> Maybe James Duhon's greatest Scotty moment. Oh my God! Picking up the mouse, hello computer. Just so
2: it's so good because it also shows like how technology can change so much that even like you've seen reaction videos of kids playing with like VCRs, like rotary yeah. phones. And all, yeah, yeah. And, like yeah, no, like. A mouse. Sure. It must be the old, the, you had to speak into a speaker, surely. Yeah. Like a mouse is so beyond the 23rd century. Right. And like there's something deeply like true in that moment.
1: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Like, uh, and they're like, oh, a keyboard. How quaint. And it's just. <laughs> yeah.
2: And the, the like insane way that that's when I learned the Scotty types in the worst way imaginable. <laughs> yeah. But fast. Fast.
3: Yeah. The, yeah. He hunts and packs, but really fast. Um,
1: really I love. Fast?
2: Oh, no, please. No, no. That computer though makes no <laughs> There's no like, you, there's no way you're you
1: knowing the keystroke shortcuts on that mm, computer. Yeah, uh, and then just kind of the cool thing about hopping back and forth is like we don't have to see how McCoy got this far, right? right. We just okay, the sketch is starting with like I've set up an appointment and you're here and we're just gonna go with it. Yeah, right. Right. You're like the implication that McCoy is running a scam.
3: Right, <laughs> <Yeah>. right, right. <laughs> Um, which they've all gotten really good at after the events of uh, Star Trek. Right. Three. Oh, yeah. um, uh, big fan <laughs> of Not Now Madeline. <laughs> oh, man, Not Now Madeline is so, so good. So, interesting
2: fact the transparent aluminum that he shows them now yes. exists. Really? Yes. It was invented in 2009 by yep. a guy named Justin Woick of Oxford's Department of Physics. He's a Whoa. Trekkie. That
3: was like, uh, he was like, I'm going to really invent this. Really? Oh, that's yes. awesome.
1: That's so crazy. <laughs> yeah. Because like, you know, the, the the stinger at the end of the scene is, is you know, McCoy being like, I don't know. Like, what if we just change the course of time history? And McCoy's, or uh, Scotty's like, why well, do we know he didn't invent the thing?
3: <laughs> yeah. How do you know he wasn't the one who invented it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Star
2: Trek.
3: A more, more circular logic. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah.
2: Which I find, like, circular logic works best if you just don't call attention to it. Yeah. If, if you spend so much time talking
3: about it, circular
2: logic, it's like you, like you pull the curtain back and you see this thing, anything. like, F you. I see what you're doing. Sure, yeah. Sure, sure. Try.
3: Yeah. <laughs> then we get uh, the scene where they go out to dinner and she orders the pizza and they both get a Michelob.
1: Not just any pizza. Yeah. The, the Michelob is, is weird. You're right for calling out the Michelob. Okay. But the Michelob... for the 80s is...
3: Yes. I have more I have more on the Michelob that opened up a whole can of worms in my brain, but I, <laughs> so, I want to hear what you're going to say first. Uh, there's
1: like a little small joke that I loved where she's like, I want a, a large pizza with mushrooms and extra onions. And the waiter's like, good choice. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it's also like, this might be... Is this the first time in the movies that we've broached... The post scarcity aspect
1: of Star Trek. Kirk has an interesting reaction to drinking the Michelob. Well,
3: then, that's what. Okay, okay, all right, all right, all right. Okay. So that's that's my whole that's my whole thing. So I was just thinking about like like we you know they invented the replicators and then upon inventing the replicators in the history of 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 you know Star Trek Earth um, that basically stops famine and and starving right. and and it 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 like sort of. You know, unilaterally equalizes the whole, like every, every country, right. every whatever. Mm. Um, and as a result of that, right, you can just go up to any replicator when you're hungry. And, you can, and it started like, it, basically, they, they got rid of the economy as a result of this because they're just like, we don't have to make yeah, manufacturing.
2: Because he, he mentions there's no money.
3: Yeah, no one has to pay for anything. You can just do what you want to do that fulfills your life because you never have to worry about money because you're always going to have a roof over your head you're always going to have clothes right. you know as long a as replicator. you're as long as you're contributing to society and i think even in strange new worlds i think they even mention specifically like don't people take advantage of that And he's like yeah sure but like whatever right. well, <laughs> like it doesn't I'm it doesn't matter like, yeah.
2: <laughs> well, well like in a conversation today when people talk about uh, social welfare and that yeah. uh, elements so like people will take advantage of it. it's like yeah you're always going to have someone take advantage of it. Yeah. The point is that that that, that negate the good it we have, does for the other fifty.
3: Billion. We have
1: people taking advantage of capitalism right, right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. We, you know, our culture. We live in this really spiteful. Like, no, you gotta, you gotta hurt. You gotta right. earn it. Right. Why should you get? But yeah, I like guess kind of the, the dream of Star Trek is: wouldn't it be great to live in a society where we weren't that? Like, yeah.
2: Yeah. Sure. Some people. Well, yeah, some friends of mine went on to a road trip to Maine. We were camping in Maine, mm-hmm. and we were driving around, and we saw people who had uh, wood, quartz of wood outside, like drop your money off here and take as much wood as you want, like mm. five dollars, five dollars a bundle. <laughs> and someone's like, "Well, so someone people would just steal the wood." And one of my other friends is like, "Yeah, but they don't care. It's, they're not using the wood."
3: Mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> <laughs> right right you right. can leave
2: the money or not but the wood is free mm. yeah
3: yeah so so all of this being said is like i think about this and i was like wow what an amazing world right like you don't have to spend money on anything all this and you can still go to restaurants right, right. but they're doing it for the love of the cooking like the right. art of cooking d space nine has a whole thing about the dad owns a gumbo shop right but you don't you don't pay for anything right mm-hmm. you just get to eat you, you get to eat there Um, because it's what he contributes to, like the Federation of planets or whatever. So, but like, I'm thinking about his reaction to drinking that Michelob, and I was like, I was like, well, it's not suggesting that there isn't beer in the future. I know that there's beer, like they talk about Romulan ale, right? Like, so like there's there's
1: ale, there's libations, and and, yeah, yeah.
3: yeah. So like, it's not that, And and I was just thinking like. Is when you go to a replicator and you're like, I want a beer, what comes out? What kind of beer comes out? And like, what are all the different, like, now, like, you don't go up and say, I want a Coors because there's no brands, because there's no capitalism. Right. Right. So then it's like, well, like, is there Pepsi or is there Coke or is it just. Soda. So, like, <laughs> like so they, it just like got my, I was like reeling from the fact that, like, wait, 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 what, what how do the replicators work in terms of like the specificity of recipes?
2: Well, like, there have been some Star Trek episodes that bring that up, not like to like wrestle with the idea, but to simply say replicator food tastes different. Uh-huh. And real food. Just yeah. Because it's being replicated. Right, right, right. And right. you know, like the flavors are going to be different. And yeah. Also p- probably less spicy, less
1: seasoning. Yeah, yeah. And you know, the concept of uh, you know, not to say capitalization breeds innovation on Maine, but like, <laughs> you know, the, the the concept of like differing soda formulas is like we want to beat the competition. Well, but it's not even that, it's
3: that the other formula is copyrighted.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, you can't use the same yeah. formula because that's illegal. Right, the formula for Coke and whatnot. Right, yeah. right, right. So, so like yeah, but like the idea of like, him drinking a Michelob. I'm like, oh, this is this is different than capital B beer. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Because I don't even think – I don't even know that it was, like, meant to be, like, a
3: joke about, like, oh, Michelob is bad or, right. or or anything like that. I think it's literally just, like, oh, like, it's Shatner being, like, I would react to this because I've never tasted beer right. that tastes like mm-hmm. this. This is different.
1: Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it's really cool. I want to know because whether that was a Shatner idea or a Nimoy direction. Yeah. Those are both dudes who have been in this world for, like, 20 right. years. So, like, they would know. Right. Like –
2: yeah, well, and also like there's are ones that in that same scene, she's like, "You're very observant," and I'm like, "Ma'am, no, he's not. You're clearly distressed.
1: He's <laughs> the only thing you've ever talked about." Well, you're not
2: only that, but like you, you are clearly distressed about that. Yeah. So
3: are the whales. <laughs> oh, How did you know? I I love that he he says he tells her the truth and says like I'm from the 23rd century, like you know whatever. Says the whole thing. And then she has to drive him home. Like, that's to the park. Like, (laughs) I think think that's, like, my favorite part is that she is such a nice person that she's like, you just told me the craziest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. you didn't try to kill
1: me. And now I have to take you back to the park where apparently (laughs) you live? Um, There's another, right before the, uh, so when he finds out about, um, oh, what does he do that makes him, like, oh, it's time to leave? What's the discovery that he gets? Is it Chekhov being injured or, like, the... Um, it's it's that they're leaving at noon tomorrow. The oh. whales are leaving the
3: next day at noon. Yes, yeah, yeah. because
2: yeah. no one told her they were doing because she'd make a big update. Yeah.
3: Yes, and well, like, they're they're leaving. They told her noon tomorrow. Right, they're actually Already. being taken out now, right. like in the middle of the night. And so
1: when Kirk finds, oh no, they're doing it noon tomorrow. We have to act fast. And so they get up to leave. And the waiter comes with her two horrible pizzas. <laughs> yeah, no, those things looked not yeah. at all appetizing. And,
3: oh. uh, I mean, it looked like an '80s pizza. <laughs> I'll be honest. '80s pizza looked. I don't know how anybody ate pizza in the '80s, <laughs> which is odd because
2: I did it for like at least a decade. At least,
3: <laughs> like, is even when I think of like E. T., which is like another like big pizza scene yeah. I can think of from the '80s, mm. that pizza doesn't look good. <laughs> right,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, pizza in 1990s, I think. Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Ears. Yeah. And some good-looking pizza. That's good-looking pizza. But, That's true. So the waiter's like, hey. some who, technology's come a long way. Right? Who's, who's <laughs> going to pay for this? And <laughs> Gillian Taylor is like, well, they don't have money in the 23rd century? And Kirk's like, well, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> like, he has, I know you have money in your pocket. <laughs> <laughs> right. But again, not much. Right. It's only like 15 Not bucks. enough to cover how much that right. is. So Gillian pays for the pizza and then drives this crazy guy home and drops him off at the park.
3: Yeah. Um and then uh presumably goes home, gets some sleep, goes to the aquarium in the morning, and he's like, We sent him off already. We thought it would be easier for you. Just
1: slaps the shit out of her boss. <laughs>
3: yeah, gets gets slapped. <laughs> um and then uh and,
2: boss, by the way, really condescending.
3: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, big <laughs> time. Uh and then goes off to to get uh, to get Kirk. Really condescending and, and also like, dude, are you not like are you not, like, freaked out at all by the fact that, like, you your star attraction is gone now? Right. Like, are you not worried about, like, losing a lot of money now I that they're I don't know. Gone? Yeah,
2: like, the, you look at the sides of that tank, and I'm like, that's the majority of... I the
3: am <laughs> There's and, a whole bus ad of just the whales. Yeah. And also, she was, like, walking the 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 tour group down this line, and it was just all whale shit, yeah. like, mm-hmm. all the way down the line.
1: So what are you going to do to recoup the Yeah. <laughs> Get two new whales, I guess, or? Oh, boy. <laughs> it's a cool thing because it kind of allows, like, the audience like, oh, yeah, Gillian's, like, a really intelligent, you know, he's not buying any of Kirk stuff, but... She's so thrown off by losing the whales yeah. and is so desperate that she's like, I don't even care that he's crazy. There's a chance that this might help me. Kind of, yeah. kind of like Kirk traveling back in time.
3: Right. Right. Totally. Um, so then uh, we cut to Ahura uh, uh, and Chekhov and they have broken into this Navy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So
2: that space. scene yeah. uh, was not the way it was originally intended. Okay. Uh, which, by the way, I said at the beginning, this is the one scene that feels like it drags a little.
3: Oh, like when okay. The, when they're on
2: the The, the ship, yeah, because like, the pacing's off.
3: Mm. It does feel a little off, yeah, it does. Like,
2: it doesn't kill the movie or anything. It's just like the movie itself has been just going so well. Like Even the camera work is weird.
3: Because
2: yeah. even when um when they first meet uh Marion again, with the Isle of Wales truck, the editing and the way the camera moves is actually very good in terms of like, just keeping motion yeah.
3: going. Hmm. It's really tightly shot in a way that makes me wonder if the location didn't look the way they wanted it to look. Like, it didn't um, actually the, look anything the, like the, a military. The military ways.
2: didn't go the way they wanted to yeah. yeah. They so, do
3: call
1: it the Enterprise. We, yeah, because they make them look like idiots. And they hate that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. Um, yeah go
1: ahead. Or the interior is the USS Ranger. Yeah, because okay. the Enterprise is that sea. Yeah. <laughs> um. It was on active duty at the
2: time. Well, makes, and This is why it doesn't make sense, so. So, the Enterprise is out of sea, so they're going to use the Ranger. Mm-hmm. The US Navy is absolutely unhappy with how this scene is set up because mm-hmm. it makes them look stupid. Yep. And because they cannot abide the fact that invaders from the 23rd century should not should not so easily defeat us. I'm like, from the 23rd century, 23rd. of course they should. But that's besides the point. And <laughs> one's a risky. <everyone's> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, Bennett is like, well, we have to. Because we want to use the Enterprise because it ties in. It's the 25th anniversary. But you're not using the Enterprise. You're using right. the Ranger. There's no need to bend over backwards for this. Yeah. Right. But he also doesn't want to use a civilian reactor because it needs to be military because it mm. needs to tie in. But they will all cough flat-footed by the DoD's response of, no, we're not going to give you any material. Because I'm yeah. like, what? do you realize that Star Trek is actually one giant love letter to, to- the U.S. Navy? <laughs> they're like, yeah, we don't care. <laughs> it's like do you realize in the 25 years we've done this we've never once said a bad
1: thing about the US yeah. Navy ne-
2: do you know how much restraint that's been on our boat
1: <laughs> <laughs> the dumb little whistle every time a door opens on the yeah. show <laughs> but originally the scene is
2: Ohur and Chekhov cut a hole through the fence sneak onto the ship and then they try to like get the uh, the fumes and nuclear f-
3: yeah they whatever. siphon it off yeah
2: Right, but the lead's too hot too much so they have to get in uh huh so then they hide out, like, okay, well, how can we get in? Authorization, uh, need authorization, whatever. And they see some guy go in, use his little key card, come out. It's like, oh, so we'll just wait for him. He comes back out. uh her steps like, hey. It's like, who are you? And that's when Chekhov just sits him with a stun gun. Uh. They, steal, they do the old steal the uniform bit. Uh huh. So he comes out in a uniform that doesn't fit because he's Chekhov. Right. And they go in, they use a key card, they go inside, and the guy's like, back again, uh, uh, Sergeant, want to bet on the Rams? (laughs) And he's like, wait a minute, you're not, stuns him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then they do the whole um, siphoning off again. Takes forever. Yeah. Takes so long, that by the time they leave, the guy's waking up. Oh. And Uhura gets out. She runs back. But as she's running, she hears a gunshot. Whoa. Instead of falling down, they shoot him. Oh, it's a gunshot! Ah. And then she sees him being carried out. Like, oh my God, he's been shot! So then she goes to tell Cook. Yeah. Now uh, that- the military did not like the fact that they shot guards. That guards shot Chekhov. That Chekhov so easily fooled the Navy intelligence officers during his investigation.
1: Mm.
0: Was able
2: to steal his stun gun and run away. Mm. So that's why he's an FBI. Yeah, uh.
1: Uh, you know, I kind of agree with the Navy. That all sounds really busy.
2: <laughs> sounds like a lot of steps. It does. And then even the guards outside of the hospital were meant to be Navy, the shoremen, but again, they didn't like the fact that they were so easily fooled. Right. Yeah. And then when they escape, they are actually supposed to, like, there's a shootout of sorts on the top of the hospital. Sulu comes in on the helicopter and Cook hits someone with a stun gun and everyone else is like, what the hell is that? Yeah. And then they escape. Oh, okay. The Navy's like, no. So that's why you have them beaming when they shouldn't be beaming because the dilithium crystals are so low, they're almost dead. Right.
1: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I do like that there's no shooting. That's like a cool thing to keep in the movie, like Chekhov getting shot seems like a weird... Tonal but thing. It, it does, but
3: at the same time, it, it adds stakes to the fact that, like, oh, right, this is what the 80s were like.
2: Right. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, he yeah, got yeah. shot. You're like, no, this is what happens. We have guns here. Also, if Chekhov was a main character, he would have survived that fall.
3: Yeah. Hmm. Um, and also, you'd get to hear McCoy, like, go off on guns yeah. for, like, oh, does a he... while. I mean, I, I, mean, I just, That would be uh, Oh, okay. That I'm that just be, saying, that that like, I assume. I know, yeah. I assume. <laughs> he would have gone off on guns because they're just like, yeah, like, like it seems like something he would be really angry about. <laughs> guns. Yeah. Um, but
2: yeah, like, it seems busy, but also, like, more cinematic than what happens. Yeah. Which is just them beaming in, sitting around.
3: Yeah. And then
2: kind of running away.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I like the scene where, you know, he's being questioned by the guy. Right. Um, he still makes them look like idiots. Right. Uh, right. Okay. They
2: didn't change that. They just changed who he's making look like an idiot.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, the it, composer Leonard Roseman, uh, Rosenman, wanted mm-hmm. to incorporate different like musical, like musicality to the moment. So like during Chekhov's chase scene, we kind of get like some Russian classical influences. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. That makes sense. Yeah. Um so uh, so
3: yeah, and then we get um, them finding out about Chekhov, being taken to the hospital, and then they're like, Okay, we gotta break in. Um and uh, uh Doctor Taylor like comes to the to the ship and yeah. then like she's gonna help them like get them like scrubs <laughs> to look like doctors, um and we get like hospital shenanigans and like,
1: just M- McCoy's finest hour. Yeah, honestly. yeah, because he's like this is like medieval. Yeah, this well, is barbaric. Also,
3: he just walks up to that old woman was like. What, what what What's with you? What's your deal?
1: <laughs> what? What is it? What? I'm getting dialysis for He's my He's like,
3: kids. dialysis, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Take this pill. <girl. laughs>
2: Which, to some degree, it's still <laughs> rare to see movies from that time period be that critical of the medical establishment. Uh-huh. There's I just it's... Be like, this is really cruel, the way you treat people. Yeah. Like, yeah, in the 1970s, you have the Paddy Chayefsky movie, Hospital, and you have some others. Like, it's not unheard of. Right. But still in a
1: mainstream blockbuster. Yeah. I think it it plays really well because it's from this, like you know, the beloved voice of authority, Leonard McCoy, (laughs) who even by then had inspired you know people to be doctors and be like, "This is bullshit. This is crazy." You know, be like,
2: "Yeah, it is. (laughs) Dialysis sucks." Yeah, the man gave me a magical pill and
3: made me a. And so they they go to the surgery and they just walk into the surgery and just walk in front of the doctors and they're like, "What are you doing here?" He's like, "What are you doing here?" Uh, he's like, we're gonna. We he's like, we don't know what's wrong with him, so we're gonna cut him open. He's like, Jesus Christ,
1: you <laughs> fucking animals! Like, you just put your tools away, you butcher. Your... <laughs> no, like, what, so like put your <laughs> instruments away. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and man, then they, and then when,
2: when they walk, when they walk out,
1: yeah, oh yeah, and it's like, oh yeah, he, he's gonna make it. It was a she. You make one little mistake. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Oh, man. It's such a good scene. I love the hospital now, the
2: scene. Hospital the hospital scene, yeah. I loved it as a, cut, as a child, but as I grew up, it ain't more angry. It just spoke to me in a whole new way. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. But, like, yeah, it's just, like, really playing with the idea. Like, really playing with the game of, yeah. Like, oh, we got to send McCoy to a hospital. We got to put Scotty in, like, an 80s engineering. We got
3: to get the Russian to, to ask for nuclear West <laughs> vessels.
0: Yeah,
2: well, yeah. And I think the one thing I do miss from... The re- how they redid the scene was I missed the fact that Sulu came in like, to swoop in for the rescue. Yeah. Because the whole bit with the helicopter doesn't really t- pay off. Like, yeah. You see him using it to put the uh, plexiglass. Yes. But like, it's almost like
1: you didn't, need to, you didn't need that scene to show us that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I do have a story about the helicopter though. Okay. okay. So we get a scene where we see the helicopter like a wide shot heading, uh, flying across San Francisco carrying like, the plexiglass. So the producers called like, the city of San Francisco, and I was like, "Hey, can we get like a Huey to drive over like San Francisco Bay carrying like a big old package?" And they're like, "Absolutely not." Yeah, that sounds dangerous. <laughs> no, you cannot. <laughs> so they're like, "Well, what are we going to do?" So on by some coincidence, one of the producers had just gotten back from Japan on uh, on other business, and he bought a Japanese toy helicopter, a remote control a Japanese toy helicopter. And so, they took that, they put, like, a fake plexiglass thing attached to the, 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 the remote control helicopter, they had it fly over, like, Alcatraz, and <laughs> that is the wide shot that you see. Incredible. I fucking love movies. I love that. I love that. And, love like, that. and they talked to the the dudes, like, that did that, like, the producers, and they're like, we love that, because, like, we had to be creative. Yeah. We had to, like, use our wits. And going back to, like, the, the punk song. Yeah. You know, you have these crew members really, like, getting creative and thinking outside of the box. And then, like, doing things that didn't cost, like, too much money. Right. It's kind of, I know, that's like some energy to the whole production, I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, after the hospital shenanigans,
3: uh, Dr. Taylor's like, I'm going to come with you because, like, I'm going to come with you to the future Mm because
1: I love whales. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I love whales, and you're not going to need a whale. Yeah. Uh, There's an anecdote I heard where she was so unfamiliar with Star Trek that she asked Nimoy and Chatner, like, what does beaming up feel like? Like, what does it feel like to, be beamed up, and they they look at each other, and Shatner's like, it tingles. (laughs) And she's like, okay. (laughs) Well, okay, so earlier
2: when I joked about, is the future walkable, Mm -hmm. how mass-used are transporters? Right. Is what I'm asking. Like, because you have to use them to get on and off a ship, apparently, Mm because they have no plank or anything.
3: Well, no, this is because they don't want to open the plank, because then that'll that'll cease the... uh, the, the cloaking device. They have to stay cloaked.
2: Right, no, like, I just mean, like, starships in general.
3: Oh, yeah, well, well like, this one lands. Right, that's so, like that, yeah, because the Klingon boat to Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's the only reason they're doing the transporting there. But, like, yeah, with other ships, they don't want to land the ship every time, because it's right. a big hassle.
2: Well, the but, bar- like, I'm wondering, like, if Earth has them. Like, do you beam up, like...
3: Yeah, yeah, because you beam up to, um, I think you, like, didn't they do this in the first right, one? Right, but do you beam to Wendy's? No, I don't think so.
1: I don't think <laughs> so. Because it, it kills you, right? Doesn't it? Like, it disintegrates well, you? Well, and... the science behind it, yes. In right. Star Trek probably not. <laughs> Yeah. Like, oh, the, oh, the, so the part where Gillian like yes. grabs Kirk. Yes. Yeah. I'm like, man, you 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 were putting a lot of <laughs> I went, my mind will flash right back to the first movie. Yes. Uh huh. There's
2: a Stephen with... King story about that, I think. Oh, yeah. well, it's a way bad but both.
3: It's but bo- I think it's both, but yeah, the jaunt is a Stephen
1: King it's, <laughs> it's, we've brought it up before. Yeah, I, was, I was fully expecting, yeah, like, oh Captain's back Oh my god, it's like <laughs> a blob of flesh. <laughs> <laughs> I love
2: whales. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the old Space show. joke, my my head's on backwards, yeah,
1: <laughs> you' all shoot it with a gun, <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh, so anyway, like it or not, she's coming with them, yeah, um, she had
1: no loved ones. she was like, I have nobody, I, I have, have nothing one. here. I only love those goddamn
3: whales. <laughs> I go where they go, <laughs> so they go up to Alaska um where they, where they let them out let them out, mm-hmm. um, and they're Basically, having to like beat whalers because the second they're in the water, whalers are like, <laughs> "Hell yeah, yeah two whales!"
2: <laughs> uh, Does anyone smell whale meat? Yeah, it's right over there. So now
3: it's a it's a bird of prey versus whalers mm-hmm. is like the third act of this movie. <laughs> the
1: whalers kind of remind me of like the Central Park Rangers and Elf. Okay. Well, sure. You know, like kind of the closest the movie comes to having like a villain. Yeah. Right. You know, like, oh, they, the whalers are bad people and it's okay if they get like defeated or outsmarted, you know? Well, yeah,
2: but nothing happens to
1: the whalers. They just
2: see a Cleon burning a
1: play. Cool. Yeah. No, they don't even get like, you know, a big wave doesn't take out their boat or right. anything even, you know?
3: Yeah. Um, I kind of wish they just like, (laughs) like just shot a photon torpedo at them, kill them. (laughs) Yeah, I mean,
2: using the circular logic, I mean, nothing's going to (laughs) happen.
1: Right. How do we know this isn't how they died before? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) we could have went on a
3: serial killing rampage. I mean, you know, <laughs> just by anything <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what happened before, if Who Just Scotty
2: and Bones going out <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, if they die, they die uh, so um, so then they uh yeah they they uh, the they get the whales and they uh shot back around the sun, and Spock has
1: to guess, yeah, oh, there's a Which... cl- yeah, that part where uh. Uh, spock tells currently admiral i think i'm gonna have to like wing it it's like oh, you <laughs> we're, gonna have, we're we're screwed <laughs> oh man we're gonna yeah and bones is like no he means like he trusts you a lot He's like, oh it was a compliment <laughs> well okay
3: <laughs> um, so they they slingshot back around the sun show up on earth uh drop the whales in the whale save the day um the bird of prey is like get is sinking yeah and uh, and then, like, everybody, like, plays in the water, like, once they, like, right. the whales, like, so, talk to the probe and save the day. Are you guys aware
1: of the novelization of this movie? Um, I, no, but is this connected to, originally, there was some, the, the Paramount and uh, Meyer and Nimoy argued a lot over whether or not there should be subtitles.
2: Yeah, so they actually do have in the novelization dialogue exchange between the whales and the probe.
1: Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, Interesting. Bennett hated the idea of there being subtitles. Yeah. He was like, that takes the wind out of it, takes the mystery out of it. Yeah. But, but what what's in the novelization?
2: So I agree with Bennett and you guys. For the movie, it would be a horrible idea. Yeah. But for a book, it's a really good idea. Sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think visually
1: it doesn't work. I think literally it does. Yeah. yeah. How do you describe what happens in prose? Right. <laughs> you know?
2: Yeah. Uh, let's see. The whales, let's see. The probe, why did you remain silent for so long? the whales. Uh, what do you mean? Well, like, what, what are you talking about? Like, They just sort of respond in disbelief. And the Pope is like, where were you? We were not here, they replied, but now we have returned. We cannot explain, traveler, because we do not yet understand all that has happened to us. <laughs> By us, the traveler understood them to mean themselves as individuals and all their kind for millions of years in the past. Oh. By their song, it recognized them as youth. "'Who are you?' it asked. "'Where are the others? "'Where are the elders?' "'They are gone,' the whale sang, with sadness. "'They have passed into the deep. "'They have vanished upon white shores. "'We alone survive.' Mm -hmm. "'Your song is simple,' the traveler said. "'It was not above petulance. "'Where are the tales you have invented in all this time?' And where are the stories of your families? They are lost, replied the whale song. All lost. We must begin again. We must evolve our civilization again. We have no other answer. The traveler hesitated and wondered if perhaps it should sterilize the planet anyway, (laughs) despite the presence of the untarcing use. But if it began a new evolution here, the planet would be as silent at least as long as it would have taken the traveler to circumscribe the galaxy. The traveler would have to endure the pain of the will's silence. Organic evolution required so much time. Besides, the traveler possessed very little cruelty. It could consider destroying the young... It could consider destroying the young singers, but the conception caused such distress. It abandoned the idea. Very well it said, I shall anticipate young stories.
1: Fell thee well. Mm, wow. That's so... Uh... There's something really melancholy about yeah. that. Yeah. Like right. it, it came all this way for answers and the whales are like we we don't have any. We got
2: nothing for you, buddy. We
1: just got so. him." <laughs> and he's like, "Okay, I'm just going to circle around while you repopulate and like hopefully get new whale songs." Is that right. what? Right. Yeah. yeah. But also
2: I love the fact that it's like, well, your stories. Mm-hmm. Your family. Like this is what we do as people and this is what the whales do. Yeah. They have stories they tell and the traveler apparently just wants a story.
1: Yeah. And he's like, oh, I came for this. And like, now we're. Yeah, we're. we're, we're <laughs> there's so wow. few of us left. Yeah, because, like, you know, the uh, Gillian like, explains the whale song in the museum that it's right. like, we don't know why these whales communicate to each other or what purpose it serves, but it can echo across the ocean. And the idea that that is their culture, yeah. that is their history, their lore, their hit, you know, their, you know like, yeah, it's a really beautiful idea.
2: Although I do love how the travel's like, well I could just sterilize this entire planet and be done <laughs> <Yeah>. with it. <laughs>
3: um yeah, so so that happens and they save the they save the day. Um everybody rejoices because power uh the power grid comes back on and uh the crew is playing in the water. That see that place where the where the bird of prey is like in the water and they're all playing in the water and pushing each other in the water, which is all very silly. Um, that is now a parking lot on the Paramount lot. It is called <laughs> it is called the Blue Lot. It is painted blue <laughs> because they painted it blue to fill with water. Um, for this. I remember okay.
2: seeing the behind the scenes on this on a Jaime Escalante video they showed in my algebra class. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, so it's on George and Gracie now in the 23rd century. I, I kind of feel bad for them because like God, they have that whole ocean to themselves. Yeah. And, like, there's no one to answer their song anymore.
3: Right. Well, no, they're, they're about to have kids. Right. Because Gracie's
1: but stupid yeah, but now, like,
3: Yeah, stupid preggers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Gillian's words, not ours.
2: But, yeah, no. but now they're starting really from scratch.
1: Right, yeah. yeah. Um, anecdotally, you know, there's a part where uh, Gillian says, like, yeah, there's less than 10,000 humpback whales in, in the open water right now in 1986. And I was like, oh. How's that number looking now in 2022? And according to Google, it's like 80,000. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, because prevention programs would. Yes. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> like, so kind of from... like
2: how when they're doing the pandemic, Buffalo. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> but, you know who, know, who knows how much this movie did for that? Because it was kind of in the culture, though, like we said. Yeah. You know, the tides are kind of turning. Um, but, yeah, but the, the story's not over yet. We go back to the court. Yeah.
3: So we go, we go back to trial, their court-martial, and um... – They all show up, including Spock, and they're like, well, Spock, what the hell are you doing here? You didn't do anything. You were literally a child without a brain. (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, I stand with my crew. And they're like, all right, cool. Um, So be it. And then uh, they're like, yeah, so you stand um, uh, before us uh, over over, uh, stealing a ship and, uh, uh, you know, not – following orders and all these things just sort of going down the line of all of them relaying all the bad shit they did in the third movie (laughs) um all the bad ass shit they did yeah hell yeah (laughs) uh and then he's like um but we are uh you know how do you plead and then uh kirk says like on behalf of the whole crew we plead guilty and he's like okay great so we're gonna dismiss all of those charges uh except for one for you kirk we're going to um, make you pay the price for disobeying orders, and uh, that means that you're going to be demoted from admirable admiral to captain. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to put you on a ship. So, like, you know, so long retirement, you're going to have to be a captain of a starship again.
2: Well, you got to understand, like, if you're a Cleon, like, how, wait, this is his punishment? Yeah. Exactly what he wants?
3: Well, but, that, but that's the thing, right? It's not really a punishment. That's, like, the whole point. Everyone <laughs> like, applauds.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because, like, he saved the planet, you know? <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. Oh, another, another moment, it, kind of like, uh, as, as far as Spock's arc, when everyone learns about Chekhov being in the hospital, it's like, well, do we really need to go back for them? Is that what makes the most sense? And Spock's like, we have to. Right. And it's like not because of logic, because it's the human thing to do. Right. And right. so he's kind, of, he's kind of learned how to he's like. He's coming back. Yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah. He's coming back. He's going to have rocket of... boots on the next one. It's going to be great.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, so <laughs> so
3: uh, everyone applauds. Everyone's happy. A lot of cool aliens. Um in this room.
1: Very Star Wars.
3: Very very Star Wars y. But like all random also, cat people. But like but like uh, th- you know, those iconic like Star oh, Trek yeah. aliens, like the blue guys with yeah. the yeah, <laughs> the white hair and the antennas. I always
2: want to know more about the blue guys. They always just show up at uh, administrative meetings.
3: <laughs> I think I think one of them is in I think he's the and en- the chief engineer in um Strange New Worlds. He's oh, okay. one of those aliens. One nice. of
1: the most aliens we've seen in the movies yet.
3: Yeah. 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 We get a lot more in the next two, but but yeah um so then uh dr taylor like comes up to kirk and she's like i'm so happy for you about this thing that i do nothing about uh good job uh getting demoted uh way to go chief um i'm going on my own ship i'm a science officer now got 300 years of stuff to learn hey
1: but uh, i don't even have your number
3: she's like don't worry i'll find you and hugs him and leaves and i'm like the hell does that mean <laughs> what, is, what does that even mean i think it means like i don't ever
1: want to see you again oh, like buddy. yeah like this was you were great but <laughs> yeah
2: well uh, and it's also like the myth of kirk the Lothario yeah mm-hmm. is a myth right like it's i think of like when you watch star trek as a child and you have no way of rewatching star trek right like things and images get stuck in your mind but like we watching old star trek during the lockdown i was like wait Really didn't happen as much as like, like it happens were, like two or three times, if that. And he's actually very much uh,
1: a monogamous dude.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's kind of
1: like the beam me up, Scotty, right? You know, we're like, oh yeah, he said that all the time, right? And you're like, actually, like if maybe he said it once.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It just became a thing. Um, but uh, but yeah, she she's like. In the future now, and she's mm. just hanging out. I really dig her uniform. Yeah, it's cool. It's a cool science yeah, it's uniform. Yeah, really cool uniform. Yeah. Purple. Yeah. Yeah. Very um, cool. Non Starfleet. She's not a Starfleet yeah. officer.
1: Oh yeah, that's a cool distinction.
3: Yeah, yeah. She's just like on a science vessel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want. I'd want that then.
1: Yeah, Get that's kind of a purple, purple a, uniform. Yeah. yeah. That's something I liked about that Andor show. Uh, without getting into spoilers, it's like no, like you you could be a dick and not work for the Empire. Right. 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 Just right. totally. being
2: an asshole. Then there's being a fascist. Like those are different. Right. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, totally, and we get a scene between Sarek and Spock as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah.
3: They have like a little. They have a little, uh, a, a little chat about like you know, oh, like why, why did you do all that? He's like, you're my son. <laughs>
1: and it's just like, yeah, oh, okay, all right, cool. Sarek seemed really happy for Spock when he's like, these are my friends, because like Sarik's like, oh yeah, your business associates seem like really upstanding people, and Spock's like, they're my friends, and Sarek's like, oh, cool.
3: <laughs> I just love that. I I love how much of a like child and dad and like the two of them have together. (laughs) Like like Spock, Leonard Nimoy knows to play Spock very childlike when he's around his father. He does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. No. Yeah. yeah, If it it feels like yeah, a parent happy that his kid who maybe was a little like had trouble connecting with other people has found a group that really loves Spock the way that Sarek does. Right. Um. The the animated episode has a really good Spock episode.
3: Mhm. Oh,
2: uh, nice. When he oh, about his dog. Oh, about his dog. <laughs> it's, wow. by, it's It's written by. Um. Oh God. Dee Dee. Um. What she's uh, she wrote a lot of the Star Trek episodes.
3: Oh. Okay. Yeah.
2: Um. She wrote that episode. It's really good. Nice. Yes. I say it's about his dog. It's an emotional gut bunch.
3: Oh man. Oh, God. God. It's like <laughs> that Futurama. It's like, like a Futurama. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So, uh, so, yeah, so then they uh, they they get into a shuttle and they're being they're about to be introduced to their new ship. And uh, they're like, oh, like, Sulu's like, I hope we get the Excelsior. And Scotty's Scott, like, ugh, <laughs> the Excelsior, <laughs> disgusting.
2: I oh. love how he hates almost every other ship yeah. but the Enterprise.
3: <laughs> and then they're flying toward the Excelsior, and he's just like, oh, god damn it. And then they, they rise above <laughs> it and go over it, and we reveal the, uh, the Enterprise A, the yeah. 1701A.
1: And this really got me this time. I had forgotten about this little payoff. Yeah. Of, you know, the movie is called The Voyage Home. Right. right. And you're like, oh, they're going to Earth, blah, 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 And the final, you know, Kirk's like, you know, oh, friends, we're home. Right. Yes. Like, Oh, that's what it was all about. is yeah. about getting them back to the to
3: Enterprise. The enterprise. And, I, and I like it for those of you, uh, uh, you know, following along at home, tracking at home, um, if I'm not mistaken – the next generation Enterprise is the seventeen oh one C. I believe so. Yes. Yes, and then will and then eventually becomes the seventeen oh one D in First Contact. Right. Um, so and we meet B in the opening of Generations. I
1: think. Oh, that's like the one that's being like you know the, it's big debut. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: I think that's the B. And so over the course of roughly a hundred years, um, the A is retired. The B is created, and then. Retired, and then we have the seed. Got it. Yeah.
1: Um, little note of uh, about next gen that I forgot. Uh, so, Nimoy and Shatner both made two point five million. I think just acting. I don't. I don't know if that was also Nimoy's directorial fee, but that was a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. and it greatly affected the uh, scope of talent that next gen would have access to. Uh huh. So that's why they would end up going with a lot of lesser known names in the cast. So, yeah. like, who knows how that the cast of Next Gen could have, how different that could have looked. Yeah, because you know?
3: if I remember correctly, they wanted a big name for the captain. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, no, Can't just get it. somebody, get somebody for look at
1: this nobody,
2: Patrick Stewart, Warrior Shakespeare Theater, no one knows that.
3: Yeah. Uh,
1: Hello, yeah. I've never laughed before, but I <laughs> hope to someday. <laughs> someday jokes
3: won't annoy me. <laughs> But not today. But not today. <laughs> today I take my job very seriously. Uh, <laughs> which
2: if you ever want a wild ride, uh YouTube videos, you can watch him as a young guy at the Royal Shakespeare Theater. Oh, wow. yeah. Him and Ian McKellen.
3: Yeah. There's
2: what a reason why the <laughs> jokes annoy him, because no one jokes in there. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
3: Freaks broke him down eventually.
1: <laughs> I really, uh, I really dig that last shot we have of the A. Yeah, yeah. It's a kind of CG. I don't know if it's a model. It's a model. It's just a okay. model. Yeah. It's shiny. Yeah. That's how I know it's not CG. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: So this is the ship we see in uh, the next couple movies. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yep.
3: Yep. Um, and it's and it's perfectly timed because they do this, and then they, that that uh, naming convention carries over into Next Gen, which premieres the next year. Uh, well,
1: it really kind of it kind of tees next gen up naturally.
3: Yeah, because yeah, they're like this is the seventeen oh one A, and then now like it, like it, it really, is, really a is a franchise that like follows through with all the story, which yeah. is so interesting because Gene Roddenberry hates these movies, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but he still respects that they did them. He's like, well, yeah, yeah. you know, they they invented. So
1: yeah, we're I'm not gonna do, throw that away. Gene Roddenberry, away. Is a
3: weird one himself. Yes, I? indeed, indeed he is.
1: <laughs> um. And yeah, so we, oh, the you know the beginning of the movie it starts with like a, a tribute to the Challenger, right? right. Uh, yes, I, I always forget
2: about that until I started up, and then it's like, oh yeah, the Challenger—that was a huge moment in my childhood.
3: I oh, yeah. do wonder if the Challenger uh, disaster had happened earlier in the development of this movie, because like it basically happened like almost in post, you know, at mm. that point, because the movie opened in '86 and it yeah. happened in '86. So I wonder if it had happened any earlier in the development of this, if this had been a movie about NASA instead of Ooh, whales.
1: Possibly. Like, oh, like a love letter to NASA. Yeah, at like yeah.
3: 80s eighties NASA.
1: Yeah, you know, it, it definitely, like, it, it affected the film. Like, you know, they didn't stop, but they were like, oh, God, it kind of took the wind out of their sails. Yeah. Because, you know, like NASA and Star Trek have been kind of feeding each other. You yeah. Know, like Michelle yeah. Nichols, her work with, like, the space program. Yeah. So, it was their idea to have, like, a tribute at the beginning of the movie, and it apparently got, like, a standing ovation during, like, preview screenings, because, yeah, yeah. Jeremiah was, like, a huge moment in, like, history at the time. Yeah, right? yeah. What, NASA? Or, or, or the the, the Challenger. Challenger.
2: Oh, yeah, the Challenger. Challenger. Yeah. 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 No, it was massive.
3: Yeah. Uh, it was.
2: <laughs> it's, it's it scarred me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, it's that thing that it makes space travel dangerous. In a way that to a child it never occurred to us.
3: To go yeah. so instantaneously from wonder and astonishment to abject horror yeah. within mm-hmm. thirty seconds. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's that that affects you. Yeah. And anti- like
2: there's a reason why after that my
1: teachers stopped showing the space launching. <laughs> yeah. 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 And like it, it is it's interesting that Star Trek made such a point of paying tribute to you know those are the men and women lost on that day because yeah. it it had an effect on our national relationship with space travel yeah. for a long time star trek being like the dream the optimistic right. like look at what we can do yeah. and like i don't know it's seeing its reaction we've gotten away from that alone. right yeah and we're kind of just now in 2022 2023 starting to see like you know the artemis project and you know
3: i i would uh if they do uh, another kelvin movie and they decide to have time travel which they seem to keep like hinting at every time they're like in development on a new kelvin sequel because there was that the one with his dad Mm -hmm. that was going to be a time travel thing yeah uh but it was going to be like early days starfleet kind of thing versus you know uh,
2: what enterprise was trying to be or was that something it started to at the end
3: Uh, Early days, the show of the Federation. Oh yeah, no, that's that's what that was. Yeah. Okay. Um, But like, it it, it, you know the the idea of doing like a voyage home with like about like NASA and stuff.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, with that crew. Oh, because like
3: I think would be a lot of.
1: I mean, think about the cast they have. We know Chris Pine is good at comedy. We know that Carl Urban, Leonard, uh, Zachary Quinto, Simon Pegg. (laughs) Yeah. We saw Donna, John Cho. Yeah. Like that's a cast that really. Could like have fun in a low stakes adventure. They have so levels.
2: much charisma in that cast. If they did a NASA homage, it would change the course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I guarantee you, like, we'd have like bills opening up to fund NASA. Because I yeah. think, like,
1: you know, and we'll talk about Beyond when we get to it, but I think a, a large portion of audience, general audiences saw the trailer for Beyond and were like, what in that trailer? Is enough for me to go see the next star trek movie right? right I'm seeing ships exploding I'm seeing a character actor in makeup and like this thing's gonna the, we're gonna have the big adventure summer explosion guns and it's like i've i don't i don't need to see that, but like them going back in time right yeah, that might be kind of the only option left well, and
2: as much as I enjoy the Kelvin movies, mm. they do have much more of a sort of this is a big blow up adventure kind. Yep. Which is sort of antithesis to what Star Trek is. Star Trek has those things. Mm-hmm. But it's not primarily
3: those. Every movie know. has to be the ultimate Star Trek movie right. every single time, and it is largely about. And, and it's and it's stupid that they do this because there's this thing called subtitles, <laughs> and they know how to read. Um, but like for some reason, Hollywood execs are like the dumber, the bigger, and dumber the action is, the better it'll sell overseas. Yeah, and, and I'm like, why? Because they don't like reading. Yeah, it's So condescending. It's yeah. so condescending, but they're always like that. And I'm also just sort of like, make a cheap Star Trek movie. Right. Make a cheap Star Trek movie. Get the primary, primary amount of money out of your domestic box office, like the primary profit. And then the international should just be, it's not the, it shouldn't be the primary
1: amount of money right. you're making. It should be the cherry on top, yeah. you know? But when these movies are like $200 million. Exactly. Yeah, and it's like, well, now we need to open big in China, yeah. like Puerto Rico, and just Russia. Make it,
3: make it, make it, like an eighty million dollar Star Trek movie, right? You yeah. would make Buku profit on that
2: from the, from the from the Star Trek fan base alone because yeah. they will cry and bemoan anything. They think, but like Star Wars fans; they'll gnash the teeth, but they'll see the damn thing fifty times. Yeah, sure, yeah. The amount of people who hated Latch Jedi, by saw it twenty times in the theater. Man, if you don't like it, don't see it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Right. So, and I, it'll be so interesting when this when the next Kelvin movie finally is released because it'll be interesting to see how all of the CBS paramount content Yeah. is that brought any new people into the fold, you know? Yeah. Right?
3: Yeah. Cause the thing about strange new worlds is just like, it, it, it literally is like watching a star Trek movie every week. Right. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's crazy. Really? Yes. Oh God. It's so good. Um, <laughs> and the budget is so enormous that, I mean, it's like, it's like every episode probably costs like between eight to $15 million. I mean, It's crazy. (laughs) Um, So so like, but yeah, you know, I I, I want another Kelvin movie, but then at the same time, it's just like, well, but we're getting like the best Star Trek we've had in... 30 years on Strange right. New Worlds. Yeah, so the thing fed. of,
2: like, we have a lot of Star Trek on TV. Yeah. Do I really want a J.J.
1: Abrams Star Trek movie?
3: Right. No.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: like, like, what are fans not getting out of Discovery, Strange New Worlds, Picard, right. Lower Decks, right. the animated one with Janeway right. and with yeah. the kids, yeah. you know?
3: But I do like that crew. I like their yeah. chemistry. I love
1: that crew. That's the I thing. Do, I never saw the second one.
3: Uh, Into Darkness. Yeah, it's probably the weakest of the three. Yeah, but it still has like fun, like character dynamics. Right. Like down. I love
2: three. I saw yeah. three. Very pleasant yeah. surprised. But the first one ends with, "Oh my God, the possibilities are endless." And then the second one came out of, "We're going to redo the second Star Trek movie," and I was
1: like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, "Yeah, understandable." Yeah, yeah, um, and we'll yeah, because like the best moments of two that I remember are like the little character moments. Yeah, you, know, like, you guys are having a fight. What is it even like? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's very Very true.
3: Um. All right. Well. Thanks for joining us, Jeremiah. Thanks for having me once again. Um. Tell people again where they can uh, find your writing and uh, your voice on other podcasts.
2: Um. So I write for a site called The Fundamentals. I'm a movie critic. Mm-hmm. I also have a Twitter account j- at jshermanfiction. Com. Uh, don't know why I did the .com. <laughs> uh, the J is the letter, not the name. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And Fundamentals. And I have a podcast called Beneath the Critic. Uh, Beneath the. Uh... <laughs> Can't even remember my own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Beneath the Screen of the Ultra Critics. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And talk with my co-hosts, Thad and Kid, and we just talk movies. Yeah. Uh, last one we did, we did. Um, we haven't it hasn't gone up yet. But we talked about teen sex comedies, mm-hmm. Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and uh, Hollywood Nights. Oh. Scott Baio and Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, but yeah, uh, come on over to the site. We talk a lot about fundamental stuff, mm-hmm. uh, fan- fandoms and stuff, and. Yeah. A lot of stuff going on with Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. I don't get into that because that's not my area. I just do movies.
1: Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. Very, cool. Very cool. Very cool. Well, thanks for being on. Thanks for having me. We'll be back next week with Star Trek Five. The God. What does God want with the spaceship? Yep. Final. Final Frontier. Final Frontier. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, if Vulcans are near. It's wait. If Klingons are near. It's Final Frontier. The, or is it the opposite? It's if, the opposite. If the Klingons aren't. If Klingons are. I don't remember what okay. rhyme you came up with last time. <laughs> We've already forgotten. Yeah. Uh,
3: yeah. Well, the
2: first key was not to make it too complicated. Yes.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Final Frontier next week, um, Rocket Boots Galore.
1: Directed by William Shatner. hmm Camping. Singing. <laughs> Yosemite. Yep. Uh,
3: all right, everybody. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Have a good one.